This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 583. Mormon missions, patriarchal blessings, and streaking samurai BYU-Idaho religion teachers. And as that very long title suggests, today's episode is a threefer. It's three episodes in one. The first that you will hear is a conversation that Tom and I had about our missions and our patriarchal blessings. Then you'll hear a previously unpublished recording that Tom and I did nearly nine years ago with Jim Hill for the Mormon Expression Podcast. And then, as an extended Easter egg, you will hear a detailed story about my green bean missionary trainer who called himself the Streaking Samurai and is now a religion teacher at BYU-Idaho. It's a big episode. It's a fun episode. And if you'd like to hear more episodes like these, please consider supporting Infants on Thrones on Patreon or send us a one-time donation. You can find details at our website. But Patreon is where all three of these episodes were originally posted, along with many other episodes that don't get posted to the general public. And now let's get right to today's episode. Enjoy. So last night, Tom and I got together and we recorded a follow-up, our reactions to the Sharing Time episode that I posted yesterday that was that lost Mormon Expression missionary episode, a conversation that Tom and I had with Jim Hill, one of the original panelists of Mormon Expression, and we talked about our missions. And it was a from nine years ago, so it was really interesting listening back to it and then reflecting on, you know, what, what changes have happened in our lives over the last nine years. So Tom and I talk about that, but then the conversation goes to our patriarchal blessings. So we spend most of the time reading our patriarchal blessings to each other and talking about what it meant for us then, what it means for us now, and it gets a little, uh, you know, like, it, could, it, could, it gets a little deep? I don't know if deep's the right question. You can, you can tell me. What word should I use? It gets a little blank. You fill in <laughs> you fill in the, the answer to that in the comments. All right, Tom, so are you ready to talk about mission stuff and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't like listening to myself in general, but I really don't like to listen to myself that many years ago. From nine, nine years ago? You didn't like nine it? Nine years ago. No, I did not like it. Why? I, what, what seemed different to you? <laughs> like everything <laughs> I, really? I don't I mean it's it's almost like and I and I'm curious if you have this take too when I'm listening to that it's almost it's it's kind of weird because I can kind of channel where my mind was at at that yeah, time right like what I was thinking and what I hate well it's it's one of the things that I really hated about where I was mentally during those early years of Mormon expression, like I had an idea that this was going to be huge and oh, that Mormon expression was going to be huge. right. And so I always treated everything with like the utmost professional. And I, I tried to be really careful and cautious and formal about structure. Like we, like the, the hour limit thing. I remember being such an anal douchebag about <laughs> we've, we've only got to go to an hour. Right. Like, what was some sort of what tentative hour? Like, where did that even come from? Is that like a radio holdover thing that I had in my head? I don't know. The, I actually, the way I remember it was that that 
John had some some people who didn't download the episodes because they didn't like for whatever reason they didn't have like a a media player so they would burn them yeah. to the disc. And so <laughs> like you wanted to keep the the episode to a certain length for those listeners who would burn it to a CD. So they wouldn't have to really two CDs. I, I, I seem to remember that being an explanation once, but yeah, it could, it could be, but I, I do know that he pushed the one hour thing for a long time as well. And I, yeah. I think I just kind of carried over in, into that one hour cult. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas it's like, yeah, everything's got to be close to an hour, man. You can't go over too much. That's messed up. Like why, why well, you carried that over into infants for a while too. I, I mean, did. Still times I think I did kind of get like bored and you're just like, all right, let's move on to the next thing. Okay, but that's not necessarily because of time constraints. That's usually, it's more like, <laughs> we're not going anywhere, dude. Like, this, <laughs> for the last 10 to 15 minutes, like, my mind is already checked out. If we can't bring it back on task or if we can't yeah. talk about something interesting, I'm out. Yeah, that's funny. But, uh, yeah, no, my, my mind in, in that particular... <laughs> I I, re, I remember, and I even remember one of the reasons, if not the main reasons why that didn't ever go out originally, is I was so worried about throwing my companion who wet his socks. I was worried about him hearing about it and then giving me shit about it. Like and all the way to your socks, <laughs> all the way to my socks. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. And I was also worried about my parents hearing it and worrying that I felt yeah. regret about my mission. So like, you were, you were the one that that blocked that from going out. Yeah, I think, I think so. Oh, I, I can't remember if did you did you remember blocking it? No, I thought that it was just one that. You know, John didn't think was that interesting. It's like eh. he might he might have he might have said don't do it but too. It, but I can't remember. But I think you were kind of like on the fence as yeah. well. And if if you would have really pushed for it, I think it would have gone out then. It's possible if, if, you were, if you were on the fence. But yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I freaking love Jim though. Yeah, I, I freaking love Jim. I, I I haven't actually kept in contact with him in the last couple of years. I hope he's doing well. I know I, he got. I, I think he got married. I think. Yeah, he's in Vegas now. I, I hear from him every once in a while. Do you? Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll send me a message on Facebook. Good I remember dude. at the time, you know, because both of us were still going to church at that time. I would have been. I I went to church till 2012, I think. Yeah, and I and I was even talking about and and like I I remember the the gospel doctrine lesson where I was talking about Job and and saying, <laughs> you know, could we could we not? treat this as a real person and maybe just talk about it. Then people like, nah. So it was, it was funny to hear, hear me reference that as that happened that day, you know, uh, that is funny. It. And I was, I was still married to Tracy at the time. Oh, that's right. That's right. Cook, you know, so like yeah. I, I was still living in Indiana. So like, I've had a lot of changes. <laughs> you have <laughs> um, from, from that. But, but I, I also had like, I heard in myself being more reserved on mm-hmm. some of the things, you know, cause I was like, like, like with Jim, I thought that Jim was like way out there, angry ex Mormon, mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable now. Yeah. yeah. Now it just doesn't seem like anything to, you know, it just seems like Jim, you know, but, but I, I was more sensitive to that sort of thing. And I always wanted to, well, let's give the church a benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, I still do that. You know, the TBM whisper part of me, but I was, I, I felt like I was more like that in that episode, but I was really happy at one point where Jim told the story about um, what the, the abusive husband and how they were, mm. you know, they tracked it out this guy and they, 
put this woman through extra suffering. And I'm like, well, or you could look at it this way that they offered him a lifeline and the guy didn't take, I was really glad that I said that. Like, I don't were? know if I would say, yeah, I don't know if I would say that now. No, I, because, I would not. Say, yeah. Because I, you know, like now I, I, I think I've always had an appreciation for multiple views of a, you know, like everybody's got their own perspective, their own mm. view on things. And of course, as ex-Mormons, it's all going to be like, church is bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Like, okay, well, that's, that's one valid view, but it's not the only one. And there's mm-hmm. other ways of looking at this. So I was, I was glad that I said that. But. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that aspect of it, because I, I really appreciated Jim mentioning that as well, where I thought that that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong, painful regret yeah. to feel, to feel like you were a, a big part of a continuing domestic abuse cycle. That's, that's a tough one to swallow. And I think <laughs> that's the thing is like, like you said, there's so many factors, there's so many things, how big of a factor were these two Mormon missionaries in perpetuating the the constant abuse it may be a little bit yeah. but you know the fact that jim looked at that like i was i was a much bigger factor or even a catalyst to continue that cycle that really bothered him it's interesting to hear that yeah I also wish that I would have spent more time talking about what, what you sort of goaded me into. And for some reason, I was worried about talking about my uh, patriarchal blessing. Yeah. I, I really wish I would have gone. I think if I remember right, I was really nervous about talking about that. Testing God, testing, testing. Well, right. Yeah. The, the Japanese language thing. Mm-hmm. That, was one of my fa- that was one of my favorite stories that you told me in those little whatever you call it that we recorded and sent to each other. Well, it was interesting too, because when we were first talking about that, you were one of the first people that I had actually opened up Uh and it was like, it was churning in my brain what was going on psychologically when, when all that was going down. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that I was testing God like at the time, like, like even when I talk about it in that episode where I was just thinking, well, I'm not really, how can you really test God? I mean, God knows everything. It's, it's, it's pointless. You were testing anyway. God. You were testing the church. I think that's what it was. You're I actually in the church to see if the church is really in tune with God. Cause God would know. Yeah. Does the church, could the church did it like this middleman thing playing grapevine, these mediators, do they, do they know, are they going to get the right signal? I'm mm-hmm. going to test that. Which, and, then which, you, and then you were the one that ended up suffering because <laughs> you had to go to Illinois instead of going to Japan. Yeah. Which is interesting because it planted the seed of the disappointment that I was going to feel throughout my mission mm. for that very reason. Like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm one of these stateside missionaries because uh, for whatever unworthy reason, any number of unworthy reasons that kept me in the States and English speaking, because that's where the, the second or third tier missionaries are sent. <laughs> not, yeah. not, the, not the ones that are out in the field ready to harvest, not the ones that are out in the foreign lands bringing the 12 tribes back together. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't part of that group. I wasn't on the front lines. Instead, I'm, I'm held back like, oh, no, no, no. There's, there's people in Illinois and Missouri that you need to reach out to for sure. Yeah, you should, you should reach out to those guys. Yeah, So because I, I even talked to my mission president about my issues with with that thinking it it was specifically stated in my blessing that i was going to go foreign and learn the do you have your patriarchal blessing handy handy let me look 
Maybe okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get mine. I just found mine the other day. So I and I did you really? Yeah, I'm gonna go grab it. Hang on. Oh, let's see. Nah, I found it. I found it. Yeah, it's still in my quad, dude. Your quad. I don't know if you can see it. Quad. Have you ever have you written any of conversations with quad, Tom? No, I start. I start. I started to, and then um, I'm I'm too self critical, and I was like, "Yeah, this isn't even interesting." So, <laughs> I'll let me be the one who says it isn't. <laughs> yeah, let you let you trash it before yeah, I get to trash. On. That's actually fair. Yeah, I probably should let you trash it. Oh, this is such a mess. You know, I held I held this thing in such high regard for so long. This actually deserves its own freaking episode. No, let's just do it right now. Let's just read them right now. Read them right now. Yeah, Patreon Patreon supporters, they'll get they'll get the joy of hearing. We're gonna smack down our own our own patriarchal blessings. blessings. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So let's let's we, we, okay. So we'll go in order of when the blessings were given. So my blessing was given on my birthday, January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety. You win. Mine was twenty ninth September, nineteen ninety one. Okay. Which I think, how old was I then? Fourteen. Fourteen. Thirteen. Let me think. In ninety one, you were fourteen. Seventy four is when I'm born. So what is that? Six. No, I would have been 16 or 17, 16, 17. So how right? would Tom Perry respond if we were waiting for Tom Perry to do math in his head? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> that is what Tom would have said. Okay. Like, come on, dude. Who cares? On, dude. Yeah, so I was 18. 18, all right. Yeah. So this was right before your mission that you did it? Yeah, and, and I don't know if you remember this story or not, but I, I wanted to get my patriarchal blessing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um but I had discovered the the wonders of masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> Spit take. <laughs> you were just about to. I know you I got me right there. Waited just a second. You took a Oh, the wonders the, the wonders magic that is masturbation well but seriously i like i discovered it by accident i'm like oh, so that's what this is that's awesome i gotta try that again but um <laughs> that is so underrated let's do yeah, this again like wow okay i get it i get it um but th- but then i started feeling guilty about it of course well, of course because i couldn't stop and um and uh, so i i scheduled uh, an appointment with my bishop under the mm. guise of a patriarchal blessing interview. Uh, but what I really wanted to do was confess, but I was so ashamed and nervous. Mm. I couldn't even get it. So like at the very end, where he's like, okay, well, here's your temple recommend interview. Your re- recommend and I'll sign it. And I go, uh, there's one more thing I need to say. And then I told him, I confess. And he looked at me, he's like, I think you should get your patriarchal blessing anyway. He just signed it. Cool guy, man. Very got, cool guy. Got a good guy. But a good guy. I wouldn't. I, I wasn't okay with it. Mm. I'm like, no. I I, I want to make sure that the signal between me and the Lord and the patriarch is clear. I don't want there to be any like static fuzz. Well, you don't want an erection stopping the yeah. Yeah, I certainly. Well, I <laughs> yeah wouldn't want that either. But, but so I, I gave myself path. like a year or two before I actually. You put yourself on probation. <laughs> I did. I, I put myself on on my own personal probation. I That's didn't. Funny. 
I don't think I really stopped or slowed down. I think I just kind of went, eh, I might as well get my patriarchal blessing. He said it was okay. So this feels take, too good anyways. I'll so just keep take, take, what, take what the patriarch said with a grain of salt. It may have been like distorted mm. because of unworthiness. Yeah, you were an unworthy vessel receiving yeah. a blessing. Yeah, that's right. yeah, very, very tainted. All right. Brother Dow Glenn Oslin II. Yes, that's me. <laughs> By the authority of the holy Melchizedek priesthood and in the name of Jesus Christ. It's almost like at the beginning of those like Star Wars movies, you go. Then there's the and the blessing scrolls up. Yeah, the holy Melchizedek priesthood in the name of Jesus Christ. I pronounce upon you a patriarchal blessing. This shall become a personal and sacred record for you, even perhaps your personal set of scriptures. It is something that will become of great worth to you as life progresses. Does, it actually, often, does it actually say your personal set of scriptures in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. It says, Brother Oslin, oh, uh, it says, it, yeah, Brother Oslin, you have been chosen to come forth during this, the last dispensation of times. Mike Tannehill, shout out. You got a dispensation in there. You were chosen. It's chosen. One, of the, one of the elite chosen. Yeah. Many are called, Tom. I don't know if you know this. Many are called. And few are chosen. So, so I'm one of the few. Mm. Which really would have spoke to my ego back then. <laughs> Not wait, the ego wait. now. <laughs> you have been given this special privilege because of your faithfulness and willingness to follow the Savior. I freaking loved that, man. I loved that line because I am more faithful and more willing to follow the savior than others. So I got a special privilege because of it. You are here because you have a special mission to fulfill. And when I was sitting there and I heard that, I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. I've got a special mission to fulfill. Lay it on me. I can't wait to hear. What is it? Am I going to, am I going to like discover the lost tribes of Israel? Mm. Am I going to translate a new set of scriptures? What is it? Uh, that special mission is to work out your own salvation using the principles of free agency and to help build up our heavenly father's kingdom. Wow. (laughs) So, so like any kind of spiritual egoic erection just went (laughs) (laughs) like, Oh, that's lame. That is lame. Tease patriarch. (laughs) Brother Ostland, you have been born to goodly parents who have entered into the new and everlasting covenant. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't last, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so were were they divorced before this or after? No, this? no, no, no. They they divorced when I was twenty four. So oh, that's this, right. This okay, so it would have been after. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go yeah. on. Um, because of this, you are an heir to the celestial kingdom. Be grateful for these blessings and express often to your heavenly father and parents, the gratitude that you now have and that will come into your life as you grow older. I did that for a while. Brother Ostland, you have the choice privilege of being of the tribe of Ephraim. Yeah. How'd you know? Cause I am everyone. Most everyone is <laughs> right in the house of Israel. You are hereby entitled to receive all the blessings promised to father Abraham through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. <laughs> it is through this lineage that the leadership for the gathering of Israel has come. 
you will be part of this gathering process. And I'm like, ooh. There you go. Ship, elite stuff. All right. Yeah, now we're getting to the juicy stuff. <laughs> you will be given much to do as this work goes forth. Study this lineage. Take time to learn of this great heritage you have from your parents, back through the prophets, even unto the prophet Abraham. Learn of your brethren of the other tribes. This was my favorite part, dude, in the whole blessing. <laughs> Seriously, in due time, you will have the privilege to know and work with them and to learn of their culture. Ooh. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Lost tribes of Israel, man. <laughs> so, so like a year later when I went into the MTC and they're talking about the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel, I'm like, boom, Yeah. Says right here in my personal right scripture. I knew it. Hey, guys, yeah. look. This is true. Called it. With these great blessings come responsibilities. One of these shall be that of serving as a missionary. Prepare yourself for a call that shall come to you, if you are faithful, from the prophet of our God. Unlike Tom Perry, if you are faithful, <laughs> unlike Tom Perry. I don't know. I think you were exercising faith, actually. You were kind of like, I'm going to see what goes on here. Um, be willing to accept that call and serve in the kingdom wherever our heavenly father wants you to go. And when I heard that, I'm like, what do you mean wherever? Am I going to get sent to a shit place? Am I just going to be happy? <laughs> One of those shit whole countries. Like, oh, like man. Illinois or something. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare yourself well through the study of scriptures and daily prayer. Keep the word of wisdom, pay your tithing and do all you can to learn of the savior in preparation for this opportunity. Get your hand off your cock. Right? It didn't say that. It didn't say anything about chastity. It was implied, though. You uh, know it. Maybe it was. Glenn, <laughs> pay particular attention to prayer. Kneel down regularly, expressing thanksgiving and asking for things you need. Know that Heavenly Father loves you, cares yeah. about you, and wants to hear from you. Share with him your utmost joys and sorrows. Feel his loving arms around you and tell him the innermost feelings of your soul. This This part actually, like... Uh, times on my mission where I was feeling really down, I would, I would read this part and be like, okay, I'm going to do it. And just like really pour my soul out to the Lord in prayer and, you know, hmm. asking for stuff. Yeah, I always felt like it helped. Hmm. Um, I promise that if you do so, a testimony will come into your heart that shall not be shaken. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. It's just a testimony in what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I bless and, and that's another thing, by the way, I'm going to push pause on this for a second, because one of the things that you said in that recording from nine years ago was that you thought that I was like the kind of guy that would always challenge things and kick against the pricks. And, you know, and I, and I think, I think what I was doing was I like, I was converted to the principles of the gospel. And then when I saw the hypocrisy, I'd call it out, be like, wait a second, this isn't what it's supposed to be. Like, this isn't Christ like love. This isn't, that sounds right. That sounds about right. So, so that's what I mean kind of when I say, yeah, I think I did get a testimony that shouldn't be shaken. But it was a testimony in like love and charity and kindness. Not that I always do it, obviously, but I know that you should. <laughs> I have I a testimony bad. in it. No, I do. Because when I realize that I haven't been, I feel bad about it. And I try to make it right. Right. Uh, I bless you to have the desire to get to know the savior. Let him be your guide throughout your life. Let him be your hero and f to follow and learn to love him with all your heart. Great shall be your joy as pure knowledge comes into your mind through the spirit. Pure knowledge. Wow. Yeah, dude, 
that how lucky are you that you got to be a podcast partner with someone <laughs> who has pure knowledge coming? You tell me you haven't witnessed this firsthand <laughs> multiple, multiple times over the last nine and a half years. I'm witnessing it right now. <laughs> See? <laughs> Yeah, great shall be your joy as pure knowledge comes into your mind through conversations with Quad. <laughs> that you've been taught and letting you know with the surety that the gospel of Jesus Cristo is true. Jesus. This is a great gift. Others will recognize and realize that you have this special testimony. Share it with them. Mm-hmm. Do not hold back. Let them know of the truthfulness of the gospel that you feel. Let missionary work be a part of your daily activity throughout your mortal days. The time is near when many will be searching, even more than have in the past, because of worldly conditions and because their hearts are right for receiving the gospel message. Know that the time is near when the division of the righteous and the wicked will become more prominent. (laughs) Gay marriage, anyone? (laughs) (laughs) The Lord needs strong warriors, and I bless you to be one of these. But that's kind of true. Like, I think think your position on gay marriage really does, it is like divide the wheat from the tares. Cause you're like, are you going to be in the principle of love everybody like Jesus taught or not? Yeah. You're either with us or against us. Yeah. Are, are, are you for love and acceptance and kindness and charity and all that stuff or not? Yeah. Um, brother Ostland. Oh, and this is the one that I, I always like think back on this with a little bit of regret, although I'm doing all right, brother Ostland, get as much education as you can. You will need it in the future. You will need it in ways that perhaps today you know not of. Prepare your mind. Keep your intellect sharp, strong, and willing to learn. Be teachable. Do not place yourself above others in the area of learning. Let's pause on that one for a moment, Tom. Do not place yourself above others in the area of learning. I just thought that you would get a particular kick out of that, but you weren't paying attention. That's fine. No, I was paying attention. I was just waiting for you to elaborate a little elaborate bit more. On it. Well, so so what happened with this one? Um, because it said get as much education as you can. I just went for a PhD in folklore without thinking what I was going to do. You know, because it says you'll need it in the future. You'll need it in ways that today. Yeah, you know education's edu- education's education. Why does it matter what you went into, though? Right. That's what I. That's what I thought. Okay, then. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. You're fine. It, it, it is. Except I. I'm still paying off like a lot of student loan oh. debt that I didn't, I didn't plan it. Like, I didn't think like, what are you going to do? So I, I, I go and I get this education and then I jump ship midway through a PhD to work for this medical device company, mm. you know, but cause I, I'm like, get as much education as you can. You'll need it in ways that perhaps day you know not of. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go forward with faith without really having a plan. I'm like, eh, I probably should have had a plan. Yeah. Okay. Had a plan. But, um, and that's why I say, but I'm doing all right. You know, so it, it didn't like sink me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it has been a regret. Mm. Um, and, and it's a way that my patriarchal blessing influenced the decisions that I made in my life that, you know, does that, does that shape how some of the ways you parent your kids? Do, do you give them advice on stuff like that? Like, well, I, Oh yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you know, so like with, with Shaylee, who's 22, she's, she went to a, a semester at Indiana university and then she has, you know, she's just been kind of like finding herself over the last couple of years. And so like, I can tell my kids, you know, here, let me share my experience with you. Let me give you some advice, but they're going to do what they're going to do. You know? So, so I just it is, but, but 
you don't, yeah, don't discount your advice in all situations, but yeah, you're right. They're still yeah. at the end of the day, they're going to do what they're going to do. Well, and, and then the other thing too, with, with, um, with Emma who just graduated high school and she's going to be going to the university of Arizona in Tucson starting in the fall. I'm going to be really happy to have her out here. That's awesome. So she's, she's interested in theater. And, um, so she, she wants to go into the, get, get a BFA in musical theater and she wants to do like, screenwriting and television production and things like that. And, you know, that's a hard industry to get into. So if I was going to give like real practical advice, I'd probably say, well, think about, you know, how much it's going to cost to get the degree, what kind of a job you're going to get, how long is it going to take for you to pay off the debt that you have to go into to, you know, like take a very practical approach. But, but I've been more like, do what you love, like find something that you love, that you really enjoy, that gives you a a lot of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how much money you make or you don't make in your life, you want to feel fulfilled. So, so I'm giving more that kind of advice now yeah. than, you know, my reaction to what I did from my patriarchal blessing. I had a conversation with my wife about our oldest today and just me feeling like how amazing it would be to be in that, I don't know, 18 to 24, 18, 25 age range where you can live with a family member or something like that. You really don't need a lot of income yeah. and you can just work or even do an internship somewhere where you want to be and just get your foot in that door. Right. That would be so, Oh yeah, that was, that was, that's a huge regret for me too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, we're more than halfway through Tom. More than halfway. You should be yeah. wrapped up. I've got, I've got a few more here. Mm. So th- this part is, is funny. So it says, be willing to learn from everyone and especially from the prophets and church leaders. Therein, you will hear the word of the Lord to the children of men. I used to try to spin that sentence that I would hear the word of the Lord and declare it to the children of men. <laughs> you know that like going back to that like pure knowledge that comes up through me and then i'm able to speak it and i'm able to like i'm like that's what i want that to mean but it actually looks like it means if you listen to the prophets and the church leaders then you'll hear the voice of the lord oh i don't like that one as much i'm going to go back to the one that i will i want to interpret it as yeah ex- I, I interpreted him as saying exercise humility Glenn. Right. but yeah. you're, you're like what are you talking about i'm i'm one of the few chosen yeah you just told me i'm one of the few and i got pure knowledge coming up come on <laughs> um choose a field of endeavor that will allow you time to serve in heavenly father's kingdom throughout your life you can be of great worth in his service You may be asked to serve in the priesthood quorums of the church. You may be asked to serve as president of organizations. You may be asked to serve as a teacher and as a counselor. Serve with loyalty, dedication, and honor. Doing the three patterns even back then. It was (laughs) destined for it. (laughs) Give your time and talents willingly. You may do this and still have time to earn a living for your family. I bless you to be equal in these responsibilities. And so because it said this, I never worried. I never worried about what I did. I'd be like, oh, I'll always be taken care of. I'll always be all right. So you did. So you actually did put a lot of, I don't know, faith and trust into this blessing. As oh, far totally. as, yeah, yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was a yeah. huge guide. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, okay. Here's the tricky part. Brother Oslin in due time, you will need to take a choice daughter of our heavenly father. One who has, one who has lived a worthy life into the temple of our God. 
I bless you to know who that person will be when the time is proper and right. <laughs> I bless you that as you kneel at the altar, a confirmation and strength will come into your heart that will further convince you of the truthfulness of this work. Choose this privilege. It didn't happen. Like I so, remember, I remember kneeling down. Yeah. You probably were thinking like, this is the moment. Totally. This is it. This, this, all right. This like really strong conviction is going to come into my heart. Here it comes. It was nothing. Wow. And then I'm like, shit, did I make a mistake? Have I not? It says, choose this privilege. Did I do something wrong? What? You know, like I thought for sure that this was the purpose, the person it says, I bless you to know who that person will be when the time is proper and right. Maybe the time wasn't proper or right. Cause I was on my mission when I met her, maybe that wasn't proper. You know, it like just mm. told my fuck stuff with this one. Mm. If you're faithful and righteous, you'll be given the privilege of bringing children into your home together with your mate. You'll be able to teach them the ways of the Lord. Look with joy upon this privilege and live your life to be an impeccable example before your posterity. Impeccable, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I'm quite impeccable. <laughs> Brother Osland, I pronounce upon you all the rights and privileges that are reserved for the faithful. I bless you that you'll have opportunities so great and marvelous that they will cause tears to come to your eyes. That actually did happen to me a lot. I, I was always very like sensitive, like spiritually sensitive to like faith promoting stories and stuff. Mm. You will have manifestations from on high that will help you in times of trial and personal weakness to overcome all temptations that are placed before you. So get that sock off your dick. Oh, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Last part. <laughs> so put your hand back on there. Yeah. <laughs> However, these blessings will only come if you are pure, clean, and chaste. So mm. forget about it. There you go. That's yeah. what negated all those prom promises. That's right. See to it that you follow the guidelines that have been given. Glenn, you need to pay attention to help your ancestors who have gone before you. Learn of them. Learn of your genealogy. Go to the temple for them. Take time to research and find those in need of this blessing. You have a special talent in this area. Whatever. I always used to wonder what that special talent was for genealogy because I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I never Did really you ever try it? I mean, like when I was at BYU, I took some genealogy classes and went through the microfiche. And I'm like, eh. Microfiche. <laughs> I, I have a cousin who's like really, really on top of genealogy. And I'm like, I would just be duplicating stuff that she's done. So uh, last paragraph, you've been given much and where much is given, much is expected, Tom. Stand by the Lord forever and ever. I seal you up to come forth in the morning of the first resurrection. Boom. To inherit a mansion that will be prepared for you and your posterity. I seal you up against the power of the adversary. I seal you up. <clears throat> Days may be fruitful and faithful that you might fulfill your mission here on this, the earth. I pronounce these blessings upon you and promise these things in as much as you're faithful and true. Yep, there it is, the caveat. In the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ, Eminem. <laughs> All right, Tom, mm. lay it on me. And then we can have like our listeners vote on which patriarchal blessing they'd rather have, mine or yours. Or which one's I'm better. Yeah, which, one, that's <laughs> which doesn't, you know, and we shouldn't get offended because we didn't actually give these blessings, so it's fine. No. Right, yeah. All right, Brother Tom, by authority of the Melchizedek priesthood and as an ordained patriarch in Zion, in accordance with your righteous desire, I give you a patriarchal blessing expressing the thoughts that may be inspired by the Holy Spirit to be a guide and help to you as you pursue your many activities here in mortality. All right. You have made worthwhile decisions in your youth that will prepare you for greater joys ahead. You've made worthwhile decisions? <laughs> 
Yeah. That's funny. You grew up. (laughs) You've been earnest in your desire to do those things that are right. You are greatly blessed in having been born to choice parents whose examples and teachings have been instrumental in molding your own life according to their righteous pattern. Your life will continue to be enriched as you ponder their devotion and faithfulness. And as you contemplate, which is funny, by the way, because my dad was pretty inactive. Back in the the day, he changed and became super active later. As you contemplate the eternity of the family, they have established a lovely home environment. You put a lot of of hope and faith in how stable of a faithful family I had. Did he he know your family? Not that I'm aware of. Maybe. Maybe he knew my parents. I don't know. I didn't know this old coot. Let's see. Uh... Establish a lovely home environment where you've been encouraged and given opportunity, responsibility to develop your many talents. So, so that's it. So your your patriarch, you didn't know who he was, really. Mm-mm. Oh, I totally knew mine. He was he was in our ward, and like I had known him for years. Oh, he's in your ward. Yeah, oh, this, yeah. This guy was in our stake, I guess, yeah. but he oh, lived no. oh, quite a ways away from us. Yeah, like I I felt up his daughter like four years before he. <laughs> 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 oh. Well, nice. (laughs) All right. As you have looked to the future, you have made those worthwhile decisions today that will favorably affect tomorrow and the the eternity. The self-discipline you've acquired in being obedient and in trying to live the commandments will assure you the promised blessings through all your life. As you become more independent, you will learn to trust more fully in the Lord. And you, as you acknowledge him in all your ways, you will be guided and directed in your path. Okay. Well, I mean, that's kind of a throwaway. I, I just think that it's weird or interesting that he's like, based on your family, Yeah, follow that pattern. You'll how did you, how did you feel when you got this, when you were reading these things, like for the first time? Yeah, I was, I, I was overcome. If I remember, I, I, I think I was, I think I was, uh, you know, crying like a little bitch. Oh. And, and I was, I, yeah, I think, I, I think if I remember, I, I was, if, I don't think I remember how they dictated this. So I was like trying to remember as much as I could, like memorize the words as you were saying it, thinking that I need to remember it because I don't know how they're dictating it. Not thinking that they record it and then their wife oh, yeah, yeah. transcribes it later. So you thought it was kind of like magical that they were able to remember word for word the blessing. Yeah. 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 You know, it very naive. <laughs> I want to I, I want to make a comment on you're crying like a little bitch because, you know, you're you're being a little hard on yourself, I think. And I'm going to chat for that, Tom. All right. Because because you I, I I think patriarchal blessings are incredibly powerful things for a mm. lot of people. Like for, for my oldest daughter, it wasn't it was a real letdown for her. But oh. but you're you're told your entire life that you are a child of God and he's got a plan for you and you're going to get your patriarchal blessing someday and you're going to get it all laid out for you. It's very unique. It's very special. It's, oh, it's totally, uni- yeah, it's uniquely designed for you. This is, this is God channeling through this, you know, special patriarch, holy vessel and giving you your own personal scriptures, which right. could, yeah, it is. And, and this, this idea that the, the God of the entire universe knows who you are and has a plan for you and your life. I mean, yeah, so to, right. to be moved to tears by that, like now you can say is like a little bitch because you're embarrassed by it. But like, 
it, it almost like I can't quite get to the place of anger with it, but because I, I feel like people are so um, vulnerable and malleable and just want to be loved, just want to be accepted. And here you've got true. thing that really scratches that itch in a big way, but then can also be used to kind of manipulate you in ways that... Except for, except for it's not kind of being used to manipulate. This is major manipulation here, all this stuff. Well, the, the reason I hedge on that is because I think that in order for something to be like really heinous, heinously manipulated, there's got to be some kind of heinous intention behind it. And I don't see the heinousness. Really? I, mean, I don't, yeah. I don't, the intention doesn't really matter in this. Uh, I don't think for me, it matters. If, it? Yeah. If, if somebody's, if somebody is knowingly, I mean, this, this was the discussion that Brady and I had about lies, you know, several months ago, right. You know, like if somebody knows that they're deceiving you, that's that's way different to me than if they don't know if they think you're they're telling you the truth and they think that's, what they're doing is in your best interest and this is the path to happiness and they ate of the fruit of the tree and it was delicious and they're sharing it with you you know you can look at it in retrospect and go oh yeah it was actually a piece of shit it really wasn't fruit of the tree but were they really manipulating you in that way they were just sharing something that they had received that was very meaningful to them to be meaningful to you. I, so that's why I kind of hedge on it. All right. Fair, fair enough. But, but I, I look more at, which I can, I can honor what you're saying there, but harm is harm. And whether someone's intentionally trying to harm you or manipulate, manipulate you in a negative way, or if they're doing it unintentionally, harm is still harm. But how did, so how did the, how did this patriarchal blessing harm you? Okay. Now you're superimposing. I was using, I was building off what you were saying as far as the lies and stuff like that. And, and I guess in a way, I do think that this was harming and very harmful to me. Mm -hmm. Very harmful. Okay. Maybe not very. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I guess it it all depends on if you look at it as, as this, because this holds a very strong catalyst and a building block to my eventual demise out of the LDS church. Oh. So this, this was, this was a big one. And I remember even in the Mormon expression days, because I remember we talked about having, you know, patriarchal blessing conversations or whatever. And I was always very uh, not willing to go down that road because it was still it special was, to you. Yeah. It was it held a special place in my heart. I mean, I, I'm having little, tw- little uh, twinges, yeah, of, as you read uh, it now, that. right, yeah. right, because right. that, that that was my experience too. Is because I, I like I remember the things that I really loved about it that sure. really, really made me feel good and made me feel special. Yeah, sure. All right, you prepared yourself in the spirit world for a meaningful and fulfilling life here in mortality. Okay, this this one this one fucked with my head a lot. Yeah, because I mean. And you and I have talked about this, and you even mentioned that, you know, you wrote this big story about the spirit world and what it was oh, like yeah. in the pre-existence and all that stuff. Man, my head was spending so much time trying to think of what pre-Tom was or what I did or what choices I made to get me to this place. And then I also wanted to honor that Tom's choices. Didn't want to let him down because he put me in this place. And so I was constantly thinking of like, if I did all this to get me to this choice position now, how big would it be if I screwed this up mm. for 
me laying this path anyway it's 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 messed up Mm. all right where are we at here our heavenly father appointed the time of your coming to earth that you may take part in teaching and in administration in preparing his covenant sons and daughters for the great events of his latter day if you knew what you did in the pre-earth life that entitled you to the many privileges that are now yours you would never yield to the enticing so prevalent in today's culture but you will continue to go forth building faith and testimony and revealed truth. There you go. So, so it just makes you wonder. You did. Yeah. So what, like, what, did, what you, did I do? What did you think that you did? Uh, I guess I was like, like Gabriel's right-hand man. I don't know. I don't know what I did. I, I kept thinking that like I, I must have been recruiting some of the spirit people or I, I really don't know. The thing is, is like, it all depends on how you view your current position here in mortality. If, if you really look at it as like, no, this, we are in the latter days. Christ is going to come in our generation. Like we were always yeah, told right. that this, this is it. Um, you know, yeah, you were the choicest of the choice, you know, like even, even the people that lived in Christ's time weren't as blessed as you right now. Okay, man, whatever, dude. Uh, yeah it messed with me a lot like i don't know true though (laughs) it's true yeah dude you walk you walk around with like instant access to knowledge in your hand oh yeah now yeah yeah sure yeah i mean like we we, it's it yeah we're 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 in a we're in a really yeah this is a really good time to live yeah i agree at times the spirit of the lord will rest upon you and you will feel an outpouring of the spirit which will confirm within your heart, the truth and divinity of the restored church and the life and mission of our savior, the higher priesthood will be conferred upon you for the purpose that you may serve, strengthen the Lord's kingdom. Here we go. You have a Royal heritage for you are a member of the house of Israel and your descent is through Ephraim. That's right. Nice. Chalk it up. Tom. Chalk it up for Ephraim white privilege, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You are an heir to all the blessings and promises pertaining to Ephraim's descendants. Israel was given many blessings, but the greater promises were given to Ephraim's descendants in this latter day. You know, it took me, it took me a long time to recognize the inherent racism of, you know, like the white blood of Ephraim, you know, it's all like coming out of Europe and stuff. And this is the chosen one. I'm like, Oh, that's totally racist. Yeah, and yeah. And, it, and I had some I had some Polynesian friends that were from the tribe of Levi. Right? Yeah, and they give them like nice. tribes. Oh my god! So it's so pathetic. Oh. Yeah, it is kind of racist. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> remember, we we used to give like Daniel shit about the blood of Ephraim or the blood I know. of Abraham. Yeah. Didn't know. Didn't know. Didn't actually like pull apart the actual racist roots of all that stuff. Yeah. All right, here we go, baby. You will be called to proclaim the gospel in foreign land. Uh, and as you prepare yourself through study and humility, by the way, I got to read that one more time because I don't think anyone that has read my blessing understands how direct that was. That's not ambiguous. Cause I argued with my parents, my Bishop state presidents, mission president, everybody. See, I'm going to, I'm going to put a new spin on this, Tom, but go ahead and read it one more. This ought to be good. This ought to be good. Yeah. You will be called to proclaim the gospel in foreign land. Yeah. As you prepare yourself through studying humility, you will be motivated to give your best. There will be many who will love you because of your desire to work hard and to teach truth to those 
who now live in partial darkness. You'll be blessed with the gift of tongues if you are called to learn a foreign language. Be patient, and the Lord will open your mind so that you will be adept in your call to service. Yeah. That, yeah. So there you go. That's the whole catalyst to me wanting to put on my missionary application that I didn't know any, because they ask you if you, uh, if you learned any languages or if you know any additional languages, and I left it blank. Because, so, Tom. Yeah. What? Oh, is this, is looking, this where you're putting a spin on it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at our website, our, our uh, statistics for the podcast in seven years. Okay. You know, we, we've, got, we've got over six million downloads total. And this podcast has been heard in 196 countries. So... Tom, you are proclaiming gospel. <laughs> That's gospel what you're saying now. That's the gospel means saying. good news. And the good news is the Mormon church is a magisterium. They're really not what they say they are. That's the real gospel. Your patriarch didn't know that that's what it was. But that's the gospel that you've been called to proclaim to foreign lands. That's one of the dumbest spins I've ever heard. Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, Japan, Germany, Sweden. Can- Zealand, Mexico, Finland, France, Brazil, Norway, Switzerland, Denmark, Czech Republic, Spain, Saudi Arabia, Netherlands, China, United Arab Emirates, Thailand. I'm not going to read all 90, 196. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have read as many as you did there. But yeah, I got, I got your point. Ireland, Italy, Indonesia. Dude, Korea. got it. Philippines, Dominican. Such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm just being stalwart. Yeah. Was it that the word fun. I used in the in, in that stalwart? Yeah, it means asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of funny. I like that. Uh, should we? I mean, is there even a point to keep going? It's your patriarch a blessing, man. I want to hear the things that are special to you. Well, that that's that's the paragraph that. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that would that to me. And and what was even interesting is I I was asking like friends of mine. Uh, siblings, cousins, family members, if any of their blessings had anything that direct and specific and no one ever said they had anything like that that was even close. You will be called yeah. to claim the gospel in a foreign land. Yeah. yeah. My, my said to get to know your brother into the other tribes because you'll get to know them and work with their culture. And you but did. Mine was specific like yours. So people who had, so most people don't have the specific stuff. The people who do, become podcasters. So, <laughs> so hypothetical, yeah. if you hadn't been called to Japan or if you would have went stateside, would that have changed your outlook? Of course. But I, I, I mean, honestly, when I got my mission call to Japan, I was disappointed because I wanted to go to Russia. You just had your sights on Russia for some I reason? I thought that Russia was where the lost tribes were. Oh. And, and that it had been like, that it, cause, cause I remember like reading, uh, Mormon doctrine, Bruce R. McConkie speculating on what the great and abominable church is. And yeah, it's probably the Catholic church, but it could also be communism. And you know, so, so like you've got the fall of communism in the Reagan area, and then missionaries now are going into Russia, which used to be the big bad guy. And I thought, oh yeah, this is totally the the drama that the Lord is unfolding in the last days that, you know, the 
borders will be open up and that the lost tribes will come forth out of this country that was under the yoke of communism. And yeah, so I had this whole narrative in my head that, that when I got called to Japan, I'm like, Oh man, Japan. But yeah, if, if I would have gone stateside, I, I I'm going to Japan had such a huge impact on my life. Of course, going anywhere else would have, you know, had a different impact. Yeah. But you, but you can't, but you can't even imagine like, just in reference to your patriarchal blessing, what that would have done to your headspace thinking, wait, I was, Oh, I was supposed to go to the lost. I was supposed to go to the lost. Yeah. Except that it didn't, it, it didn't specify that that would happen on my mission. Oh, yeah. It said in due time, you'll come to, to know him. So I, so I would have thought it'll happen later. It'll happen at some other time. Like when I'm serving in the priesthood leadership corns of the church or something, you know, that's what interpreted it. That's kind of what my mission president told me. He's like, yeah. you, you do understand that, uh, you know, when you're older, you can go on a mission with your wife, right? Yeah. It's oh, because like, you were talking to your mission on. president. Hey, look at this part in my patriarchal blessing. It said I was going to go foreign. I didn't. What's up, Prez? Did you do that? Yeah, I did. Nice. It sounds so petty, though. No, but it's <laughs> like, it's so like you to like hold on to something. You're like, yeah. this is bugging me. I got to, I got to, it doesn't, it to everybody. This doesn't jive at all. This doesn't this, jive this, at all. This is a full-on contradiction. Like it doesn't. <laughs> what? What? No, I it didn't. It, I mean, I, I put all my faith in the Lord's hands when they put me when they were going to call me on a mission. And guess what they did? They, they, he he went up to the plate and he struck out. What's funny is you know, like you think about it now. Like, of course, what is your mission president going to say in response to that? What are any of oh, your translators going to say? Oh, in response I know. To that? Oh, but I know. still, like undaunted, you're like, I've got to bring this up. This is. This is uh, vexing me. This is quite grievous. Because yeah. at, at, in, at that time, you actually believe that you're the only one that's dealing with the conflict. Yeah. And yeah. you can and even my mission president, like, I mean, he's made it to 60, 70 years old. He's never had to deal with any conflict. Everything is right. Yeah. <laughs> laid right out in perfect order for him. So he's got to have an answer for this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pathetic. Yeah. All right. The time will come when you will be in love with one who will be worthy of your own high ideals. Marriage oh, is. It didn't even say a woman. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I could have gone gay. Who would have yeah. thought? Marriage is ordained of God, and His way of everlasting marriage is the straight gate and narrow way that leads to exaltation and happiness. As you keep in mind that marriage is divine, it will be a protection to you to help you refrain from doing anything in your dating and courting that would prevent you from having your love sealed in the sacred temple. As you <laughs> Get your hands off your dick. Right. You bet. And how many, how many people, because uh, I, I don't know if you were like, but, but like Tracy and I like, push the but like we never we, we didn't sleep together before we were married you know so we Did were you get to like second or third base maybe yeah we got it we got around the base you know like we 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 put and then we didn't confess you know mm. so, so like we, we're just like oh yeah yeah we're good we're good because we're like i don't it would be too embarrassing to like be put under discipline and go like okay well you've got to push your wedding back or like have yeah yeah coffee sealed in the temple but then then that comes back to bite you and you're like oh why aren't things working out mm-hmm. oh maybe it's because we messed up maybe we weren't being worthy enough and it's like that's yeah those are the things that's just like that shame mm-hmm. like planting the seeds of shame and and feeling guilty and responsible for things that are just normal yeah it is but i i mean my wife didn't mess around 
Like we, yeah, we, we may have got to first base well, and you guys, st- you guys stayed married. Whereas Tracy and I just, <laughs> there you go. That that's exactly yeah. each other's guts. Yeah. And that's why. Right. Yeah. Oh, loving this. Secret. As you keep your virtue, as you keep yourself virtuous and clean in body and mind, you will be worthy to receive the Lord's eternal promises available in the Holy Temple. I already read that part. No relationship needs courtesy, kindness, and understanding more than marriage. And as you learn patience, a willingness to forgive, and make expressions frequently of love to each other, your marriage will be made secure. You may create a gospel-centered home where it will be a refuge from worldly things and where there will be mutual understanding and where you will teach faith in the Lord. A your wife is freaking cool, Tom. Now my wife is freaking cool. She is really cool. I mean, to buy you a coffee maker. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And that's just like scratching the surface. Your wife is cool. She's, she's, yeah, she's made some amazing uh, improvements. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. So thanks. Yeah, she is awesome. Let's see. Uh, Love for him is gospel and where family members will grow in love for each other and your children will follow your counsel. Yeah, that's horseshit. Through your priesthood, <laughs> through your priesthood, <laughs> through your priesthood. If they never followed any counsel, does that say that they will always follow all of your counsel? It doesn't say that. Where your family's members will grow and love for each other, and your children will follow your counsel. No shit. Yeah, your children happen. will follow yeah. your counsel. Yeah, no. but it didn't, didn't say always. What does the word will mean? Will means yes. That means stalwart, baby. Yeah, That's mean exercising have assholery. Have they no. ever followed your counsel? Occasionally. Okay, maybe. Well, maybe con- how about, how about with conditions? follow your counsel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conditionally, they'll follow your counsel. What, what's that? What, what's that honest movie trailers? We could do like honest patriarchal. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That's yeah, awesome. Through your priesthood, you will preside in the home with the assistance, counsel, and encouragement of your companion. And through your leadership and guidance together, you may create a united and happy home. A measurement of, a measurement of your success as a father will be demonstrated in the lives of your children. This is the other one that haunted me all the time. <clears throat> all the time. Even before I had kids, I, I remember thinking, my success as a father will be reflected of them. Yeah. And this is this. Well, I had to be impeccable, Tom. Oh, okay. I had to be an impeccable example (laughs) to my kids. This, this, what really irks me about this. And I, and I know I've said this countless times. I fucking hate that the Mormon church puts ownership on parents, on the children's, how, how they result or how they grow up or the choices they make. They're individuals, man. Yeah. You know, (laughs) And, and my, my wife's parents are bad about this too, like to the extreme. So any of my wife's family that have fallen away from the church, her, my father-in-law takes it as a personal right. aside. He, he feels like he's now a failure yeah. with each one. And he, and he continues to fall down this thing and he just beats himself to a pulp yeah. over this stuff. Yeah. And it's stupid. And I've, and I've actually called him out on it. Like, you know that I'm an individual, right? And he's like, yeah. I was like, so I make my choices. My choices aren't a reflection on you at all. So stop 
with this whole psychological bullshit where whatever I choose to do with my life or my, even with my family have, is not a reflection on you and your uh-huh. character and your success as a grandfather. Oh, yeah. Not what about stewardship, Tom? What Steward, about stewardship? Well, okay. Stewardship, yeah. But that, that's, that's, the, the, <clears throat> that's the heart of it. That's, that's where all that abuse is happening under the name of stewardship. Feeling that you are, you have stewardship. You are personally responsible for this stuff. So if somebody under your well, stewardship goes wrong, then you've you've failed. Is it is it that? Because I remember there's scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants somewhere that says that it's kind of like putting the ownership on the on the on the parents. That if your kids fall away, if your kids do certain things, that that's a, that's a responsibility that's now on your heads. Mm, maybe. Anyway, it's been a while. Yeah. As you live the law of the tithe, the Lord in his infinite mercy will bless and prosper you. It will be well for you to gain an education and be well trained in the vocation you select as you keep the Sabbath day holy by dividing your time in study and reflection in regularly renewing your covenants. This feels like he's doing a checklist here. Yeah. As you keep the Sabbath day holy in renewing your covenants in teaching with the family and the service to others, the Lord will bless you and your life will be sanctified. As you study the scriptures, to seek to gain wisdom, listen to your counsel of the family. It will be an influence for good of the entire family. As you study, you will understand more, more fully the life and mission of the Savior, for he is the doorway that leads to happiness here and hereafter. Your faith in him is the key that will give meaning. Okay, here we go. This sentence. Your faith in him is the key that will give meaning and purpose to your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's some, that's a road that I definitely went down. Like I studied the hell out of Jesus. I, I, I read, I don't know how many times I've read the new Testament, Jesus Christ, every book I could get on, on him and his life. And, oh man, I even, I even went off the beaten path by reading, uh, other denominations books on Jesus. Yeah. One of our prophets have counseled that we maintain a journal for it. For in it, you may establish worthwhile goals and it may be an instrument to help in building spirituality for you will have rich experiences that you will want to record and remember, which I did almost up until I was married. You kept a journal, right? Yeah. Even after the mission? Uh, You know, like I, my journal became more um, like, recording audio tapes i talked about that in that mission thing like i you know like i i would make tapes and just i'd give a lot of details and i figured uh this will preserve you know that's a lazy form of journalism or writing a journal right yes i do know that i learned (laughs) that firsthand (laughs) okay good the lord has designed that you this is another one the Lord has designed that you live a long life of usefulness. So I counsel you to be aware of the dangers that may exist, that, may, that you may protect your life, for you have many worthwhile things to accomplish. The eye of the Lord is upon you, and through his heavenly agencies, he will protect you from many of the dangers, for you are precious in his sight. If the veil could be opened for but just a moment, and you could get a glimpse of the great and eternal plan concerning you, your whole soul would be fu- fulfilled with the love for the Lord, and you would strive to live worthy for all the blessings prepared for you. I seal you to come forth in the 
Not the second resurrection, the first resurrection. No, third. Oh, oh, you're the first two? Oh, man, I wanted to have a leg up on you. <laughs> with, with immortality and eternal life in the celestial kingdom, where great shall be your joy and reward. I seal these blessings. Blah, blah, blah. Amen. The, the, the danger one. So I, <laughs> I almost, well, I, I have to be careful how I say this. There was a, there was a scouting trip where I came extremely close to, to dying. Really, really, mm-hmm. and this was how old were you? Wow, it's it anywhere from I want to say thirteen to fifteen, mm. and we were we were rafting in these homemade kayaks that we made, and I had this stupid ass idea that I was going to go down these whitewater rapids that were nearby that no one else was going, but I was like, oh yeah, this is this is a great idea, and so I recruited one of my friends to help carry my kayak up there and, and we put it in and I got in and it, I didn't even make it five feet before the thing collapsed. And then I just went down and yeah, dude, I, I don't even, I'm not even a hundred percent sure how I got out of there, but my kayak was smashed to smithereens. Wow. I had a similar experience. Did you? Yeah, it was it, whitewater rafting. We were on like a big raft and they told us that if it flipped over, to just try and climb up on top of it and ride it out until, you know, we really part. And so we, we flipped and I, like, it was terrifying. Like we hit a little dip, just flipped over and I was holding onto the ropes on the side and I reached up on top to grab onto it and my hand slipped. And then I was just like floating. So mm. I was probably like 14 or 15 years old and I didn't know if I was in front of the raft or behind it. I was just scared shitless. And so I prayed and then I felt like peace and calm. And then I went into this little eddy. While you're in the water. Yeah, while I was in the water. And the raft was way ahead of me at that point. And then there, but there was another one behind us mm. um, that I was able to get in. And, but yeah, that's interesting. So you see, I didn't, I, have I didn't a, almost die. I didn't have a life jacket or anything like that. And, and, yeah. and I remember because I, I, I feel like I created one of those flashbulb memories. What I remember is I, I was underwater a long time. And I'm, gra- I'm trying to grab these slippery, you know, slimy rocks, trying to get a purchase on anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I was smashing my head on rocks. My, my legs were on rocks. I was bruised and scraped and bloody. I, I, I really like that you said I was trying to get a purchase on it. I've, I've read that. I've never heard anybody say that before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I just, I, I, I was moving so fast. I needed to stop and I knew I needed to stop and I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what was happening. And to this day, I'm not even a hundred percent sure how I even got close enough to the shore to pull myself out. I know I pulled myself out. There wasn't anyone there. No one was there. No one was helping. When I got myself out, I was calling for help. (laughs) There were, there was nobody. And it was hours until I finally just said, no one's coming to help me. No mm-hmm. one's going no to come to look for me. So I, I kind of dusted myself off as much as I could and got my ship together. And I tried to f- walk myself back to where the camp was. And the scout leader, who was my next-door neighbor, who was sort of my surrogate father growing up, at least as far as the church goes, yeah, he chewed my ass up and down. And I remember saying, but I almost died can you be somewhat compassionate? He's like, you ruined that kayak and we brought this all the way up here. You go somewhere like that. And he just chewed me up and down. 
And I felt like so, yeah, I felt terrible. And I, and I remember wishing that I had died. Mm. Yeah. So good times, man. Cause it was, uh, it was, it was probably only like two years after that, that I actually did try to kill myself. You tried to kill yourself, Tom? Yeah, I told you that. Yeah. I, I think I blocked that from my it, memory. It, it was it was seventeen. I was seventeen years old and I did try to kill myself. How? With a knife. Like slitting your wrist? Stabbing myself in the gut. Did you you actually stabbed yourself in the gut? Yeah. Dude. I mean it, I didn't go in very far. And I never told anyone. And I just covered it up. Yeah. <sighs> Now that, that one was over a girl though. <laughs> Cause I didn't feel like uh, once, once this girl that I was crushing on and she turned her sights to my best friend and I've, and I really felt like that I'd, I'd never be loved ever. Oh, dude. You know, you know how it is when you're that young and you kind of, you feel like it's like I put all of my chips on this girl and I felt like if she wasn't going to reciprocate, reciprocate the emotions and feelings at all, at all, and then she turned her sights on my, on my best and closest friend. It was like, it was like a betrayal. I wasn't actually mad at him, but I felt like I should have been, but I wasn't. Mm. It's not his fault, but yeah, that, and you know, things were kind of messy at home anyways. But. So, and this was after your patriarchal blessing. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Damn. That's kind of heavy, huh? A little bit. <laughs> hey, but I haven't tried to kill myself since, so that's good. Yeah. There's always that. Yeah, there's always that. Well, that, that, that makes more sense. That, that, that helps me understand why you've done the suicide help desk and things like that as often as you have. You think, you think that's why? Because I don't think so. I think that I think you understand what it's like to be oh. in that bleak place and yeah. you want to help people who are there because you you were there and you don't want other people to have to suffer the way that you suffered like that. That's what I think. True, but it's it's all that much more devastating when you have a really close friend who does kill himself. Yeah. And then I've got to run through the gambit of I should have I should have known. I should have seen the signs. I should have seen the signals. If if anybody could have picked up on anything, I should have. Mm. And then and then I didn't. Yeah. <clears throat> so that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that happened in 2012 as well. That was a shitty year, dude. Yeah. Well, oh, was that worth it? Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Did you? No. I mean, I guess I <laughs> should I stop recording now? No, no, it's fine. I, I I feel conflicted about it because even as we're talking about it, and I'm reading it. It's like I have I have a natural inclination to be dismissive and jokey and 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 uh, I don't know sarcastic about it, but it's it really shaped my life for a long like up until you know ten, eight nine ten years ago yeah it was it was it was a potent part of my life and it it's it's still 
it has a big anchor in my head, big anchor that I can't quite like when I read those words and I'm like, it's still true, Tom. Like I can hear, I can hear that and I can feel it. It's weird, dude. Like even, even where I'm at now, (laughs) where I couldn't be more unplugged from the church, it still has an anchor on me. Sucks. Hmm. Interesting. I doesn't have, yours doesn't have an anchor on you, right? Well, I don't know what you mean by anchor. I it, like well, when you read it, do you feel like it sort of has a control or a power maybe on you? Certain certain lines are very meaningful to me because of what they used to mean to me. Um. And, and, but I, I guess I, I look at the way that it has impacted my life. And for the most part, you know, like even with the shit that I've gone through, especially like these last nine years, I mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, like the, the last nine years, two divorces, <laughs> you know, like moving halfway across the country from my kids, which is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And the way that that impacted my relationship with my kids, um, you know, losing my job with cook, you know, just like all, all of the things that have happened, there've been, there've been a lot of things. And I, and you know, like I could look at that and go, Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Cautionary tale. That's what happens when you leave the church. That's, you know, the thing, but I don't feel like that. And I don't feel like even with all those things, I, I feel pretty good Hmm. about like, I, and, and so I don't know what that has to do with my patriarchal blessing. I guess, I guess that my patriarchal blessing it really did shape and impact my life, but I can look back on all those things kind of with a sense of gratitude. It's not always gratitude, but there's a lot of gratitude in there. And then kind of understanding and compassion for the, the role that it played in my life. And, and, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, how malleable, how vulnerable we are, how much we want to feel connected to, God, how much we wanted to feel connected to our family, to our community, to this whole Mormon thing. And it did it, you know? And that, and I think we talk about this ad nauseum that when you leave, there's this emptiness, there's this gap and what fills it because there's so many things in Mormonism that have been created through the culture of this religion for how old is it? 200 years? However so, so old it is. And, um, yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I, 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 I look at it as being a very significant, important piece and I enjoyed reflecting on it. Um, but I don't feel like it has power over me. It doesn't make me sad. Oh, you know? it make, mine makes me terribly sad. Cause you, cause you think of like where my life could have, yeah, where, yeah, it's the what if whole yeah. it's thinking about what, what I could have done if I didn't have this, what I consider a concrete roadmap laid out before me that actually did affect my decisions in life. I I think because of the things that I've gone through with divorce and with my children and things that I've, I've had to struggle with the what ifs in those areas so much. Sure. Our blessing really pales in comparison. And, and that's fair. I mean, it's, it's it sucks. It, it takes that, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, even, even moving back to Arizona, uh, it's, it's been almost three years since I moved back to Arizona 
And it was really hard for me at first because I'd drive by like these really nice big houses. And I, my dad was a lawyer. I grew up in a really nice neighborhood. I didn't know at the time how nice of a neighborhood my neighborhood was and how nice of a house it was. It was just like normal for me, but it was, you know, very upper middle class. And, and I had aspirations of being a stake president or general authority and, you know, being a lawyer like my dad or something, you know, and having a big house and just having that whole status thing with the, you know, five or six kids and the Mormon wife and just that whole Mormon lifestyle. And so being back here and seeing those homes that I used to kind of covet and that lifestyle that I used to covet and even driving by churches, Mormon churches on Sundays and seeing the families that are walking and they're happy and they're and like, mine isn't mine's busted up, you know, like there was a lot of, a lot of the what ifs that I, I went through then. So I, I, yeah, my, my patriarchal blessing doesn't really do that to me that much. I just, I kind of look at it as like an old friend that I just have lost touch with, but used to mean a lot to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's good. That's, that's helpful for me to at least kind of process it in relation to how I deal with regret and all that stuff. I remember when, when I really felt like my dad finally was proud of me, like mm-hmm. truly proud of me. Well, I guess there was two times. It was when I was going on my mission. And then the second time was when I got put on the high council and he, he yeah. came, he came up for that. Cause my dad, he's, 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 wanted to be a bishop he's wanted to do this stuff and he's never been he's never Mm -hmm. been called and so he actually pulled me aside after that happened and he says you have now achieved what i never could oh as a high priest yeah there's a high council on the high council the state high high council Council, yeah Mm. he's like you finally achieved something i never could i couldn't be more proud yeah Mm. and then yeah Good times when it's like, eh, I think I'm good with all. I think I'm going to go ahead and flush all that down the toilet now. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucks. Well, hope hopefully that works. I, de- yeah. I definitely think that I'd like to, uh, I don't know if you're interested in revisiting some of the old conversations. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, so so if you listen to some of the other ones that are in the Dropbox that I put in there, there, there was like that best of Mormon expression thing. That would be kind of fun to listen to um, and maybe comment on. Or there, there were a couple of after discussions that were in there. You probably have others that um, have been like taken off of the Mormon expression site now like your interview with will bagley and some other things like the the one that you did with what'd you call him stealth bishop it was kevin, kevin right? but like at the time he was just going by a pseudonym i loved that one i remember i just rem- like I, that'd be interesting to listen back to that and then we could you know we could do it where we publish that and then we do a commentary on it or something yeah, yeah well dream mine was flushed dream down mine. the memory hole um really oh let's do dream mine all of I all loved of, Dream Mine. All of those, all of my episodes. That's that's the thing that I don't. I I've wanted to do this because uh, Matt mentioned this to me months ago. He's like, if if you were to do a PPI, what would you talk about? And I said, well, if it, it did it for infants, I would definitely express my frustration that John Larson whitewashed Mormon expression. 
Mm. And he and he deleted like all of your episodes, all of my episodes, all of Zilpha's episodes, all of all of uh, Garen's episodes, all of Jim's episodes, all but his. That was a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, it. <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah, let's do it. So, so, um, you want to do dream mind next? Is that, should we go in chronological order? Or does it matter? I don't think it matters. Let's do but dream mind. Dream mind's pretty interesting. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll find it and we'll do dream mind. Cool. I'll even, I'll even do some research to see if there's been any developments. Nice. Something. I like it. Cool. And, and what, what, what would you think about, you know, like um, earlier in the year, we would open up discussions for people on Patreon to come and join us. Oh, if they want to join, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Would that be kind of cool? Let's do that. Let's do that too. So we'll, we'll, we'll put an episode out and then we'll say, Hey, here's the day that we're going to jump on to talk about it. Anybody who wants to join us can. Well, the only prerequisite is I, I would hope they would have listened to that old episode. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so, so kind of like how this one was. So, so like today I published the old missionary discussion that we had with Jim. And then tonight you and I are recording our reflections on it. So we'll do something like that again, but in the, in the intro to the episode, I'll say on this day, we're going to record. So listen to this and then you know, jump on and join. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Thanks Tom. Night bud. Talk to you later. See you next. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Expression. I'm going to be your guest host, Tom, and this episode is going to be a little bit different. This one, we're, we're just going to kind of uh, BS a little bit about our missions. And uh, I brought on Glenn. What's up, Glenn? How you doing, Tom? <laughs> Great, thanks. You, you like the enthusiasm? Yeah, <laughs> real enthusiastic. <laughs> and uh, Jim. Hey, guys. Uh, good to be back. We, we're hardwired into Jim, so he shouldn't drop us here. So we're hoping that uh, hope. his landline stays. <laughs> Actually, we just had a power outage not even an hour ago. Uh-oh. Did you guys? Yeah. There's did been you, some did pretty you... heavy rains here in the valley. So, Yeah, so if this cuts short and you can't reconnect with me, then I'm going to say that it was a power outage instead of my wife disconnecting the phone <laughs> or Jim dropping us. All right, anyway, so... Me and Glenn had this, well, I, I guess I had this idea that I wanted to do kind of a missionary background where I wanted to talk to a few people about their missions. And, and that kind of inspired the Sister Missionary podcast that I did a while back. Um, and the only problem with talking about the dudes and their missions is they're, they're uh, plentiful. And there's, there's a lot of them out there that are willing to talk about their missions. And, and you really don't know where to start and stop. And and you don't want to, you don't want to uh, burden everybody by listening to the same and all on my mission. And most people have heard that crap anyway. So, so we, so I had this idea that maybe we could talk about some of the interesting, crazy, um, silly, and stupid things, and maybe some thoughts about our missions. Maybe what what we thought of them. Maybe whether we would recommend it for others. Stuff like that. Is that kind of the idea here, Glenn, Jim? Yeah, it sounds good. That's reasonable. 
right. If so, but basically, you're saying you don't want us to bore anybody. Yeah, I, well, especially me. I mean, yeah. I'm not really. I guess I'm not really. <laughs> you're not worried about anybody else so much. You just don't want to be bored yourself. Well, because right now there is no audience. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I, I guess I'm worried about the audience after the fact, but yeah. but I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't want to bore myself. All right. So let's see. My mission was in the Peoria, Illinois mission, which is now debunked. Um, they did away with it. And I'm not even sure how they divided it out now, but that's too bad. What a great mission that was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did I did enjoy the mission. Um, and let's see. Nabu, Carthage. Um, what else was out there? Did, did you work in any of those Nauvoo, uh, like, little tinker huts where you made uh, horseshoes and candle wax and things like that? <laughs> Bricks? Yeah, you gave out the brick and the little sunstone. Right, right. Did you do that? No. No, no yeah. I didn't do that. Okay. Anyway, enough about that. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to think. My mission was, I mean, I served honorably. I came home. Um, Talk about your, your patriarchal blessing time. I, like, I found that interesting when you told me about, you know, the expectations that you had uh, and, and then your reaction when you got your mission call. My patriarchal blessing? <laughs> patriarchal blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, my, my, uh, yeah, my blessing said that I was going to serve foreign and, and receive the gift of tongues. And learn a foreign language or something like that. Now, see here. Here's where I wish I was prepared and I could read it, quote it out for you. But some it's something to do with that. And then I didn't get called, and I just got called to the Midwest instead. And I was, I was very disappointed. I felt like inspiration was uh, somewhat lacking in that area. Kind Did of that make the MTC hard? Like it got yeah. more difficult. I don't know if it made it more difficult. There was a lot of envy and jealousy. I mean, there was a lot of people in in my, uh, what do they call them, the MTC groups that would stay with you. There was yeah. a lot of them that were going foreign. And foreign, you got to stay, what, eight weeks, six to eight weeks? Mm-hmm. Got to. <laughs> got to stay. Boy, I hated we're, that. We're that forced. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you, you know, what, what, what was interesting to me, Tom, when you told me the story of uh, you know, you took a year of Japanese in high school, and you had a, a, a friend, a classmate, who also took a year of, of Japanese in high school. And when you were filling out your paperwork, <laughs> you intentionally left that off because you wanted to see. You know, you wanted to see. You know, you shouldn't, ah. you shouldn't have to tell the Lord that you've got a year of Japanese. He should already know that. You know, and, you know what and, they say about people who test the Lord? Yeah, see? <laughs> Well, you're not supposed to challenge me like a guest. I, I'm the host here, man. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I, I did. I filled out the paperwork. I took a year of Japanese in high school, and they have that section on the application where it says, do you, did you learn any languages or do you know any other languages or anything like that? And I talked to my mom about it. I said, do you think I should fill out that I learned and I took a year of Japanese? I really don't know Japanese at all. Um. And my mom's like, you know, just do what you feel is right. And I was like, well, I mean, regardless of what I fill out on this stupid application, God's going to be able to read my heart and read everything that's around me. So he's going to put me in the right place anyways. It's not a matter of me necessarily lying, right? Yeah. 
So I just left it blank and that was it. So I guess I, in a way, I look back at that like, I wonder if that actually played a fairly big role <laughs> in where I went. Because your classmates did go to Japan, right? Yeah. Well, actually, two of them did. Yeah. One of them I wasn't real close to, but the other one I was pretty close to. He went to Japan, yeah. yeah. Yep. Anyway, so I guess we can talk about uh, other crazy stuff. We'll talk about the crazy stuff, but let's just do just an overall synopsis and then thoughts after. So I'll just say my overall synopsis was it was really hard. Um, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I remember when I first got home, um, and I think I got home in May, April or May, and conf- it was like, yeah, it was right before conference. That must have been right before that April conference. Um, I was at home with, at my parents' house, and I was so, I don't know, what, what do they call that, uh, zealous, that when they stood up to sustain, because it was the new, was it the new prophet, 95? <laughs> I stood up in my mom's house, and my, all my family felt stupid, so they all stood up with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I had to set the example, see? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, That's awesome. I, I raised my uplifted hand and whatever, and. Yeah, I was a, uh, I was a total a hole. You so, were stalwart. Stalwart is yeah, that what it is? Yeah. I yeah. thought is that is that a, is that a term that's synonymous with a hole? Yeah, it means a hole. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I I was like that for a while, um, and then I married my wife within a year, in the regulated year of being home. Well, no, just over a year. Well, maybe it's close. Anyway, I got engaged within a year. And that's it. So now that I look back, I really regret my mission. I wish I wouldn't have went. Um, I I think that there was a lot more negative on my mission than there was positive. Um, and for most people, including including members of my family, I think I would tell them to not go. Does does your family know that that you have this kind of regret, or is this going to be a shock if they hear it? Yeah, is there a way that we can lock the website from my family's IP address? I don't know. <laughs> can you get on that, Jim? No, we'll, we'll see what we can do. He'll just shut everything down. <laughs> yeah. Build a host table for the website. No, I think I think most of my family do know that, especially since I announced my disaffection. I think that they 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 kind of see that I would regret it, but I regretted my mission before my crisis, anyways. I didn't. I didn't really make it too publicly known because, you know, it was a sacrifice for me and for my parents for me to go. And and three of my four siblings went, and you know they credit me because I'm the oldest in my family, oldest of four. And so, I had to set the example. See, and did so. Did you kind of, uh, I guess, outwardly rationalize it? You know, to those who would who would ask, would you? kind of sugarcoat it i guess i mean i don't know if i'd call it sugarcoating if 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 they asked me how my mission was i would say yeah it was good and i wouldn't necessarily be lying because there were parts that were good you know and i and i could share plenty of good experiences on my mission yeah um and and maybe my hindsight's been tainted a little bit you know when i look back at it now and i and i i see it as something that i regret i know glenn doesn't regret it which which no, I'm glad you went on your mission. <laughs> no, I know you don't. <laughs> I know what you meant. 
I was just I being think stalwart. That, yeah. yeah, I'm in the same so boat I, with you, Tom. You know, the my mission was very difficult. I struggled with depression and anxiety. And where'd you go, and, Jim? Uh, uh, when or where? Where? Uh, I went to uh, Minnesota, so okay. close to Tom's mission, actually. Yeah. So we were we covered Minnesota, most of Minnesota, uh, western Wisconsin, uh, a section of the the UP uh, in Michigan, uh, the western uh, portion of of the UP, a little bit of Iowa, uh, and the mission covered, I never served there, but we covered in Thunder Bay, Ontario as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. You didn't have to get any passports or anything to go up there, did you? Uh, At the time, I believe you didn't have to because it was pre-9-11, but you just had to have like a birth certificate at the time. Sweet. Anyway, so I guess that's that's about it for me. We'll hit the interesting stuff later. Since Jim, we you just described your deal. Why don't you give us a synopsis and uh, and then some hindsight of it of your mission? Sure. Um, so initially, my experience with the church was ramped up about a year before I left for my mission. I felt it was something that I needed to do to please my family at the time and hindsight it was you know just like you said Tom it was difficult it was depressing at times it was frustrating and until I left the church uh, it was a form it was a source of guilt and of anxiety that that hung over me. So I went, as I said, to to the Minnesota area, uh, the Minnesota-Minneapolis mission, which I believe is still around. I'll have to check on that. But I went uh, in January of 1999, uh, got back, served honorably, and uh, got back in January of, of 2001. So, all in all, I had some really good times on my mission, mostly in the, the last portion of my mission when I was serving in, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, specifically in Ashland, Wisconsin. We traveled a lot, and we, we really just kind of screwed around a lot, which, which made it enjoyable. Didn't, <laughs> Tolerable. Uh, do a lot of teaching, but we did a lot of mountain biking. So, so uh, when so when you first got home, were you were you a little bit zealous like me, where you were faithful and you told everybody how great it was? Yeah, I mean, outwardly, I, I remember you know telling people, yeah, it was a a great experience. I learned a lot about myself, and I think that's that's mostly true that I learned a lot about myself. Um, Though, you know, I would get into some moods where I would, you know, get kind of frustrated at the fact that, you know, how behind in school I was. I saw everybody else that I grew up with had uh, some really great opportunities open up that I would have, that they came back to me and said, you know, if you weren't on your mission, I would have brought you in along with it. And so, I mean, and that, that kind of worked into it as well, kind of. A regret of you know financial opportunities and 
career opportunities. Uh, yeah. But all in all, it uh, it set me back a bit. I'm afraid. <laughs> cool. All right, go ahead and give us a breakdown, synopsis, and hindsight. Yeah, I, I went to uh, Okayama, Japan, uh, ninety-one to ninety-three. Um, it's it's now the Hiroshima mission, and actually. I, I think just a few months ago it was rolled into uh, Fukuoka mission, so it doesn't exist right now either. Um, but I, I was really excited to go on my mission, and uh, I, I think probably the most spiritual experience that I've ever had was when I was set apart as a missionary, and uh, you know they they laid their hands on my head, and I just kind of shook. You know, I felt like it, you know they, they my state president said that there were people in Japan who had been prepared to hear the gospel specifically from me and that they would recognize me and I would recognize them. And, you know, and so there was that, that, um, sense of, um, you know, importance that, that I had from my mission. So I was really excited to go. I, I, I didn't, I'm also the oldest, um, in my family and oldest grandson on my, my mom's side. And, but I never felt pressure. Um, I, I, I just wanted to go and, and do it. And then, I was pretty naive and pretty zealous, and my my trainer I, I drove him absolutely nuts because he he was uh, he was about six months away from leaving and he was pretty jaded uh, by the whole thing. He was he was a cool guy and he had a lot of friends in the mission and he the last thing he wanted was some green out of the MTC guy coming in and saying shouldn't we be calling our companions every day you know things like that. So I, I got under his skin a lot and I regret that. Um, but you, but you didn't at the time, right? You were just trying to set him straight. Yeah, like like I, I yeah, pretty much. I, I was trying to set him straight. <laughs> I was just trying to do the right thing, you know. And, and and they told us in the MTC that when we got out in the mission field, we needed to to inject some uh, green enthusiasm. You know, that there's that green and growing, and yeah, I don't remember what the other part was, but like old and brown and dying or something like that. I don't know. But they told us that when we got out in the mission field the missionaries would not be doing what they were supposed to be doing and that we need to set an example for them. And I took that to heart, you know. So uh, it, it didn't last. I mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't the most uh, strict missionary in terms of following the rules. You know, there, there was always music around. Uh, even in, in my first apartment, uh, there, was, there was music around, and I, I went out and I bought a CD player and some CDs, and that became like my big foil throughout my mission. When, whenever I felt like I needed to repent, I would put the CDs away, <laughs> and uh, you know that that was. Kind I remember of... I, to speaking of music. I mean, so, what was the the mission rules uh, for music uh, specifically for us? It was, you know, you, you, we kind of skirted the line. We'd have like Enya or Yanni or wow. something <laughs> like that, you know, and that would that would be pseudo acceptable uh-huh. you know and uh you know of course you know I, I had a huge cd collection at the end of my mission you know just but uh you know about halfway through you know when i hit my year mark is where i started buying <laughs> kind of saying you know this is kind of stupid i need to get a cake cd <laughs> yeah cake CD. i don't i don't remember what our rules were do, do you remember tom what yours were for, for music. Of course, of course, I remember my rules because yeah. I, I I followed them. See, yeah, nothing nothing like you disobedient <laughs> missionaries. That might be no. why you didn't like it very much. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, 
No, the rules were, as far as our mission went, it was no music except for the, the hymnals. Now, for when I first got there, they did ha- kind of have a, okay, you can listen like Beef Oven and, uh, and Bach and... Uh, did you just say Beef Oven? Music. Yeah, Beef Oven. Okay. <laughs> I listened Beto- to Camper Van Beef Oven. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was strictly classical and, and, they, and yeah, Enya was on the, on the cusp there. But then after a little while, there were some missionaries that were abusing it. And so he said, just hymnals. And I, I actually ordered the, the hymns on tape. And so I, I carried that thing around me, you know, that big 8 by 11 cassette thing. Because that was the only thing you could listen to. And, and two, high, what is it, High to Kolob? That was my favorite one. Yeah, I remember the, the first Christmas that I was over there in Japan, um, the, the group Take Six had come out with a, a Christmas album called He Is Risen. And uh, one of the missionaries in my apartment got that. And I listened to it, and I, I found it very inspirational. And is, that an L, is that an LDS band, or no. is that just Christian? No. Yeah, they're, 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 they're a Christian a cappella group. I mean, it's, oh. it's more like the bebop. Yeah, you, you probably got an open mind, Tom, but I don't think that you'd like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I, I remember feeling very uh, defensive of these people who were not Mormon, but they were singing about Christ and they were worshiping through music. And I thought that it was stupid when I'd run across, you know, missionaries or members who would kind of turn their nose at it because, you know, it's, it's six black guys that are singing doo-wop harmony kind of stuff um, with very um, like Baptist or at least what I associate with Baptist sounding stuff, you know, like, Amen. Kind of Mary had a Jesus. Kind of yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of that Southern Gospel type stuff. But 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 I, I I grew to appreciate it, and I thought you know these guys really are feeling their their devotion, and uh, yeah. So I mean, that might that might have just been how I justified listening to something I wasn't supposed to listen to. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's more like what it was. <laughs> but uh, no, so yeah, I didn't listen to any music. As a matter of fact, on my one of my companions, he. Uh, he wanted to listen to music bat- really badly, but he talked me into getting into that Columbia House BMG thing. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you remember where you could get, like, 11 CDs for a penny or whatever? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he he was in it, and he, and he got a free CD or two or three CDs if he signed up a friend. So he signed. He got those free CDs because he signed me up, and I ended up buying a bunch of CDs. But... To this day, I, I swear to you, they stayed wrapped, and I shipped them home wrapped. So I, wow. I listened to them when I got home. Yeah, well, let, let me just wrap up my, my summary. It, 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 it was hard. And, you know, if, if I had to go back to, to do my mission again, I'd really have to think twice about doing it. You know, when, when I look back at the, the impact that it had on my life, it, it's really immeasurable. I, I met my wife while I was on my mission th- through letters. We didn't meet in person until afterwards. Um, the, the job that I have now... Uh, is largely due to the Japanese that I learned while I was a missionary. Um, so, it, it, and, and a lot of who I am came as, as a result of being on a mission, but it was hard. And I, I clashed with a lot of people. Like, I went in very naive about, um, you know, like political ambitions that people have um, in the church. And I came out much more jaded um, along those things. But But I would still recommend it. To, to others if if not 
if just for that opportunity to struggle and grow, um, that, that I, I think was good for me. Do you think that you could have received the same, you know, amount of, I guess, healthy struggling in say the, you know, military service or the Peace Corps? I wouldn't have done well in military service, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'd, Not unless yeah, he was would, a general. No, I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'd crumble. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do well in, in military service. I am with service. you there. Yeah. Yes, but but yeah, I I don't know. I I, I think I, I think you're on the right track though. That that you have those um, compressed pressure cooker situations that people can can rise in. It's not just in the the, the Mormon Church with the missionary program, but uh, it's one of those. Anyway, so the so you know we could go on and on and on, and you and I'm sure that there's not a person in our audience that hasn't heard. Oh, when I was on my mission, so I'm. I'm getting a little tired of that already. So I think that uh, maybe we should share some pretty interesting stories. Um, and I assume that both of you got some pretty good ones. Let's 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 start off big. Let's start with uh, let's start out with you, Glenn. Share share a story that uh, that you've shared, you know, countless times that you're pretty proud of. Well, th- this was at the, the tail end of my mission. And, you know, like I said, I was pretty, pretty jaded at this point. There, there was a, a guy who, um, he had been AP and he was being put out to pasture, we called it. He had two months left and he came in as our district leader and he said to the six missionaries who were there, uh, in, in the next two months, we're going to have 12 baptisms. Now, between the, the three companionships, we had one investigator and that was mine. And I knew this guy was not getting baptized. He was just interested in, in talking and he was a little nutty. Um, so, you know, how we were going to find these 12 and teach them and they were going to get baptized, I just thought was ridiculous. But he, he, uh, he really sold it. He, <laughs> he got that, uh, uh, that video, what is it? Blessings from heaven or something like that. That's the Lorenzo snow, pay your tithing and God will make it rain on the crops. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and and with God, nothing is impossible. You know, if you have faith, um, you know, amazing things can happen. And then he went around the table to each missionary and he said, you know, we're going to have these 12 baptisms. Elder uh, Abel, do you believe that we'll have these baptisms? Yes, Elder Way, I, I believe. Sister Toon, do you believe that we'll have these 12 baptisms? Yes, I believe. Sister Thompson, do you believe that we'll have these six? Ba- yes, I believe. Elder Oslin, do you believe that we'll have this? And I said, no, no, I, I don't, I don't, this is crazy. And he, you know, he just looked at me and he shook his head and he said, you know, then you will be the reason that we fail. <laughs> I just thought, come on, yeah. come on. Self-fulfilling prophecies, anyone? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was just, you know, and so it was, it was things like that, that, you know, to his credit, he did uh, work really hard with his companion. He had a greenie and they did find one guy that was, was a really cool guy, 21, 22 year old. Japanese guy, and they taught him all the discussions, and they, they got down to, to crunch time. At least they were calling it crunch time. And I, I, I remember they were plotting it out on their little blue planners that, okay, <laughs> I go home on Tuesday at 11 a.m., and we still got three discussions. But if we do this on Saturday night, and then we do this on Sunday, and we do this on Monday, and we do this Tuesday morning, 
we can get the baptism in, you know, an hour before I have to get on the train. And they just both looked at each other like they had just found a cure for cancer, you know, like it was just a oh fantastic God. thing. And I said, you guys, whose timeline are you on? What, what is this about? And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't very popular with, with them at all. They thought I just... Why, 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 why weren't you, why weren't you being I, a realist? Yeah, for being a realist. A realist. Because it, because it, wasn't, it wasn't faith. I guess, or or what they thought was faith. No, according to faith, it was the hard sell. You know. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's funny, and I guess you've always just been hardwired that way, Glenn. You know, when you talk about standing up in gospel doctrine, that you know this Bible thing wasn't written by God, or yeah. or when, it, that was, that was few, when, yeah the Book of Proverbs the, last week. T- t- today it was we were talking about Job, and I said, are we comfortable talking about this as as a folk tale? And I got uh, shut it down pretty quickly, but yeah. <laughs> So I guess you're just hardwired to stand, you know, kick against the pricks, huh? To say, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna conform to this kind of peer pressure when I think it's a bunch of BS. Hopefully, hopefully, I hope so. Yeah, that's nice of you to say, Tom. Well, I, and sometimes this doesn't go to your benefit, too, though, right? Sometimes, you, yeah. Yeah, I, I was never made zone leader, and that stung. Yeah, neither was I. Yeah, well, I, I definitely wanted to be a zone leader or an AP, and my my friends were, and I wasn't, and you know that was a that that was an area of shame for me. So, <laughs> isn't that, that now. isn't that pathetic that yeah. uh, that everybody was jockeying for mission leadership and for what? I mean, the whole thing is so silly, I and mean, I'm sure we we all have experienced mission politics in its worst degrees and. And uh, certain missionaries that would uh, do certain things just so they could look good, so they could prob- possibly get that promotion. Yeah, it's just silly. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty thick. And I mean, it, it was weird because as soon as President Gleed showed up, he showed up about six months into my mission. The atmosphere changed totally. President Martin had been very, uh, very different in his leadership style. And he had President Martin, the the one that came in uh, that I uh, came into the mission at the beginning. He he was very uh, very unpolitical in his decision making, I guess. Whereas Gleed, who had come from uh, Salt Lake, uh, was very you know it, it was the Peter priesthoods and the you know those who were pushing that hard sell that seem to to get leadership spots. Yeah, and, and my, my mission president was Japanese, so it was all about, like, strict obedience to the rules. Yeah. And, and we had some ridiculous rules. Like, it was a rule that we had to eat creamed wheat for breakfast every day. And it, was, it really was a rule? It was a Seriously? rule. And he would tell us that if we didn't do that, if we didn't follow all the rules, including eating mugi, which was called mugi, then we wouldn't be able to have the spirit with us and we wouldn't be as effective as missionaries. So we had these, these rules, like you had to shine your shoes every day. You know, it's very Japanese, you know, and, and, and he was, he was very Japanese in his approach. So he, he promoted the guys that were kind of that, that Japanese business ethic kind of thinking or, and, and like, like for, for me, I was done in from the start without even really knowing it because I, I always thought that the weekly letter to mission president was stupid. So I didn't do them. And did I. That, yeah. that didn't that didn't help me. That didn't do. Much I did. Me. I did. Yeah. 
man, you were just you were just out to, to be a pain in the pain in the neck to whoever was above you, huh, Glenn? No, no, <laughs> no I, I'm with Glenn I, I was, on this one. I was out to convert everyone. <laughs> I just didn't want to play games. <laughs> I, I just wanted no, to go I did out and mine talk for to about people. the first. I did my my letter for about the first four months, uh, and then I, I, I you just I started filling them out, you know, ahead of time. <laughs> because you know you just do a big batch of them all at once, you don't have to worry about it for for a month. And then I yeah. I kind of looked at it and I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And so I just stopped. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't get any bounce back from the mission president, so and, and you know, my, that reinforced I, it. And my first companion, he he liked to take off his clothes and run around the the neighborhood naked, and he called himself the streaking samurai. <laughs> and I thought, I you know I I don't want to write that in my letter to the mission president because then I'd seem like I'm a tattletale, and he's going to think I'm, like, trying to jockey for position or something. You know, I don't – I mean, like, I thought, what am I going to say? I don't, I don't have anything I really want to say to him. So I, I, don't. I, did, I, I did that. In, in one of my mission present letters, I wrote something that I knew would raise his eyebrows a little bit. And so the next uh, – whatever they were, PPIs or mission or, you know, every zone conference or whatever, you'd have to talk to him. He never mentioned it. And so then – Because he doesn't read just, them. Yeah, I, I was kind of under the impression that the APs were reading them, but I, I can't I can't say that for sure. So I just made every mission letter very vague and very positive. Nothing nothing real genuine about them, you know. They're pretty lame. Do you still have them? Did you get them like at the end of your mission? Uh, no. Well, did I? If I did, I think I must have thrown them out because I have I have a box of my missionary stuff, and I don't remember seeing it in any of that. I still got my blue, blue planners, <laughs> every single one of them. You did? Yeah. Saved them all. Yeah, I, I got rid of my missionary guide. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I think I still have my discussions around somewhere. But yeah, that was that was one of those moments of shame for me when 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 the mission president handed back all the mission letters to to all of us that were returning on on the day, and, and mine was like two letters. And everybody else was stacks, you know, they're like, oh, man. <laughs> like, well done, now, good and faithful servant. And then, okay, here you go, Elder Oslin. Here's the reason why you didn't baptize yeah, much, Elder right, Oslin. Right. Nicely done. Oh, no. <laughs> no, uh, so. Right. You ready for me to change this up a little bit? Go. Change it up. Go. go. Okay. Um, what I'm about to tell you is totally true. You can look it up. And this will... I don't know, this is probably the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me on my mission and in my experience in Mormonism. So, so we were, uh, this was about uh, a year in, uh, into my mission, and I was with a companion who was very trunky and about to go home. And we attended the uh, temple dedication, uh, of the Minnesota Minneapolis Temple, or Minneapolis Minnesota Temple, and before the dedication, we they brought all the missionaries in uh, to the to St. Paul specifically, where the uh, the temple was. I was in uh, uh, in uh, Blaine at the time, Blaine, Minnesota, and uh, we all were in a session, basically, in, in, in the chapel next to the, the uh, 
the Minnesota temple, the, the, the St. Paul, Minnesota temple. So we were in there, all of the missionaries and what do you know who comes walking in, but it's president Martin, the, the mission president of ours who had, uh, left us six months prior and president Gleed told us that he was coming in and he came in and sat down and, uh, on the, uh, the, uh, up in the, uh, next to the podium. And, uh, you know, we were all, you know, pleasantly surprised to see him, him and his wife. So, uh, this was right before the temple dedication. So of course, Hinckley and, and, uh, uh, I can't remember who else was there, but, uh, uh Hinckley and, and some of the 12, uh, came in and we all stood up, of course, uh, when Hinckley walked, you know, opened the door and, you know, just as a side note also, um, I noticed that our mission president, our current mission president, had the tallest elder sit up front. And when Hinckley opened the door, uh, and the, or when the church security opened the door and stuck their head in, I saw our mission president, our current mission president, kind of coyly nod his head to the, this missionary as if they had you know, initiating a plan that they had spoken of prior. And he was the first one to stand up. And then everybody else stood up. And, you know, it was like this, you know, programming had kicked in almost, you know. And we all started singing, you know, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the prophet song. What is it? Uh, we thank uh, thee, O God, for a prophet. We thank thee, O God, for a prophet. See, that's how, how far away from the church I am. So. Yeah. <laughs> So we all start singing, you know, uh, we thank the O God for a prophet. Hinkley comes in and uh, does his song and dance. Um, doesn't really say much. Um, and uh, then the, one of the apostles that was with him uh, actually, you know, said, Hinkley said to the, uh, to the apostle, um, uh, you know, was there, is there anything you would like to say? Um, and he says, nope, because the, once the prophet has spoken, the thinking has been done. Wow. <laughs> he actually said that. But did he say and, it with a wink so, in his eye, kind of like as a joke, or did he... Did no, he really it was more it? like, you know, everybody listen, you know, uh, to what I'm saying. It was, uh, oh, I'll have to look it up uh, and, uh, and, figure, and see, tell you guys who it was. But uh, so... He it, during Hinckley's talk though, and this is where where it comes down to a very <laughs> interesting thing is that during Hinckley's talk he said, um, President Martin, God accepts your work, and uh, so we we're all oh okay that's that's pretty pretty normal because supposedly President uh, Martin his his task was to bring a temple to the to the uh, to Minnesota so. God was was pleased with his work. I think was his, his exact words. So, um, Hinckley leaves. You know the 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 roadshow. You know departs, and uh, you know we're all stunned and wowed. And you know, quite honestly, it, I was just I was totally underwhelmed by the whole experience. I, I thought you know because you know that was the first time I'd seen you know the prophet of God. You know and. It just felt like, you know, the you know the CEO had come in, not not a, a person who speaks to God, you know, and you know it, it was so ingenuine his words and so 
I don't know, just bland, like he was, you know, reading reading it off of a teleprompter, almost. Anyway, so President or President Hinckley leaves. Uh, president Gleed, our, our the current mission president, stands up and starts to talk to us for about ten minutes, and then President Martin uh, gets red in the face and falls over. Falls and over. And like literally falls down uh, in his seat up there on on you know next to the podium, and so we're all concerned. And he's like, "Don't worry about me." And he's he's wiping sweat off of his face. And he gets up and he's like, "I'm just gonna go get a drink of water." And he walks right in front of me. I was sitting, you know, where the 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 priests uh, uh, or you know pass the sa- you know sit when they right. pass the sacrament. I, I was sitting right there. So he walks right in front of me, faints. And dies right in front of me. Dies? Literally. Dies. Has a massive heart attack. And, you know, the, the, the traditional, you know, three missionaries leap over and instantly, you know, have their oil out, <laughs> you know, oh. and, and give them a blessing and says, you will, you know, recover and you will stand up. Well, the, the guy just had a massive heart attack. Paramedics came, worked on him for about an hour and a half, uh, stuck him up, stuck, uh, you know, him with enough epinephrine to have him jump, you know, from here to Minnesota, uh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, he didn't come back and they loaded him in the ambulance, took him away. And, uh, about 20 minutes later, they said, uh, you know, they called president Glade and told him that, uh, he, it was official that he uh, was pronounced dead. And now he, he was the one that president Hinckley had said, the Lord has accepted your, uh, correct. Wow. Yes. So, so yeah. I mean, did did people talk about you know? Well, yeah, it was like it, it, was, it was the talk of you know. Oh, he was called to his true mission calling in the spirit world, and yeah. you know, wow. a lot of you know other jockeying and. Well, uh, how do you know he wasn't, Jim? Well, you don't. <laughs> so, well, how, how about how about the elder that jumped up to give him a blessing? Wouldn't everybody be staring at the prophet like, "Well, come on over, do this thing." He, he had left. Well, right? he had left, so he, oh, had he had walked left? out and left. <laughs> yeah, the the road show had the road the 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 LDS prophet road show took about eight or nine minutes altogether. So he was in and out in about eight or nine, maybe ten. But he was still so he was gone. Distance. They could have called him. Oh, he was gone. <laughs> He had left the area. Um, he didn't even come back. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. It was a pretty. It was a pretty sad day. I, I really respected President Martin, um, and it was it was sad to see him see him pass right in front of me. So, it, but yeah, that was probably the most intense m- moment on my mission, right there. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if I've got anything to top that. How about you, Glenn? Oh, I don't have anything to top. A guy dying? No. <laughs> no, I had a missionary companion who shaped his poop. I mean, what? What? Like, no, I, can't, I can't. Shaped his poop? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's an indication of mental disorder, right there. <laughs> I would hope so. I hope that's like not normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. There was a there was a pair of elders that uh, in my mission that uh, went on kind of a roadkill not roadkill, but they started killing all these animals and uh, skinning them in their apartment. What? Yeah. Speaking of of you know twisted stuff that's indicative of mental disorders. Yeah, they wow. they 
they did frog. I'm trying to remember all the animals they got. Squirrels, I think. They they ended up taking pictures in their apartment. It looked like a bloodbath. They had these skins and they were eating them up. And they always Whoa. they always they always told us the same thing. And he was the district leader at the time. They always told us the same thing, like, "Hey, it's okay to kill these things if we eat it for our nourishment." Whoa! No, come on. So, no, serious. You want another story from me? Uh, Has to be good and interesting, right? Our audience is on the edge. I can feel it. Yeah. Well, let me let me think of one that's good and interesting. I I, I had a. Um... You want me to tell the wet sock story? Yeah, tell your wet sock story. Okay, so we were at a zone conference, and my companion, who I despised was there and he's one of these guys who's a total prankster he thinks he's hilarious he's going he's going around you know and he starts uh, farting and <laughs> you know he goes up to a couple missionaries and he you know he farts and he's like ah, you know and, and i would have to say that most of them are, are looking at him like that's not funny you know this is, is this nice, kind but... of a socially maladjusted kid or <laughs> i don't know he <laughs> I'm not going to give too much away to actually pinpoint this guy. But, Thanks. But <laughs> his first name was Glenn. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, so. You mean that stuff's not funny? <laughs> <laughs> so he's going around doing this. And he and I guess he had enough bean burrito in him that he was doing it for a little while. And he ended up going up to this one guy and, and he does it. And he did it to the sister missionaries, which actually made it a little bit funnier, but still not very funny. <laughs> And so he wanted to get up there, and he's like, he's making this little entrance, and he gives up in front of everybody because we're in like an intermission of the zone conference. There's people being interviewed, and there's a few people lounging around in the area, and and he's like, oh, I'm feeling it. And so he grabs his leg and he lifts it up, and uh, oh no, and he squeezes it, and it and it's this, except for. It's it's not just shooting blanks anymore, right? You can almost you can hear you can hear <laughs> that it's no longer just a just a oh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, what happened was uh I guess it was pretty wet because he got his socks wet. <laughs> and so and so luckily we were in one of those church buildings that you know has the the little air dryers in the bathroom because he's in there in just in just his suit jacket and he's because he didn't bring any extra clothes so he's rinsing this rinsing out his bottom suit pants and his g's and in the sink there in the bathroom and then he's holding up his pants on the air dryer you know oh that was wow. great that 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 was i even wrote that in my journal because i thought that was one of the sweetest karma moments because this guy was a total prick <laughs> The fact that he and the fact that he that God allowed him to wet his socks in front of a public crowd was so sweet. Wow. Yeah, you know, as I listen to this, and I, I think, you know, what what would people, if they were listening to this, be thinking about? I I think missionaries missionaries are just kids, you know. I mean, missionaries are you know anywhere from nineteen to what's the top twenty six something 27. like that. Yeah, yeah totally. They're, they're just kids. And, you know, last week, Tom, we, we talked uh, about performance, right? And you, you kind of oh, yeah. gave me some grief for using the word performance. But 
like to me, the the mission is a huge performance. And you've got these 19-year-old kids that are trying to play a part, to play a role that they've heard about in stories since they were kids. And, you know, they, they know what you're supposed to look like. They know what you're supposed to do. But then you get into it, and you're really just still yourself. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what, you know, what, what, what you're wearing or the name tag or anything like that. A guy's going around and thinking that it's funny to fart on people. Yeah, I mean, it's just... You're so above that kids. kind of... You're so much above that kind of prank, right, Glenn? I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had I had a companion that, that he would make uh, fart noises with his mouth. He was really good at it. He'd, he'd go fur. You know, he'd just give like a little this. And I mean, it, he could, he could kind of throw the sound, and that was kind of fun. Like we'd be sitting in a in a district meeting, and he'd go fur, and you know, people, people would kind of like look around to see who it was. You know, but it was it was it was more subtle. Uh, than actually really going around and lifting your legs and going, hey, guys, I feel one going on. <laughs> you know, but but I, I used to get in trouble. Like when, when I got back from my mission and I got interested in folklore, I, I ran a website that was missionaryfolklore.com. You're going to have to re-register it now that you're promoting it again. No, yeah. I mean, I let the domain go away years years ago. Um, Shame on you. Yeah, I just, I just kind of lost interest in it because people – People would email me and say, you shouldn't air your dirty laundry. You know, like missionaries have this image that... Yeah, you're destroying the image of yeah, the missionary. Just, and, and in fact, uh, I, I, uh, I saw that one of my pages was about the French mission apostasy, which was a really interesting You know, I've heard story. about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there were missionaries that just kind of went off and started teaching their own, their own stuff. They made their own church. I think there's a, a branch of it now that's in, uh, in Mexico. Isn't like it the it, Church of the Firstborn, I believe, or I, you know, it, that sounds familiar. I don't, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up again. That's cool. But, but um, the, the the Tanners linked into my site, and you know, when I saw that that I was getting this anti-Mormon website that was coming into you know my sweet, innocent missionaryfolklore.com, dot com, I got I panicked. Yeah. And I, I took that page down, and I because I I didn't want to destroy the image of missionaries but at the same time i i wanted people to see we're, we're just human you know and and the these are kids that are out there doing the best that they can but you can't be you can't be on that performance you, you know 100 percent of the oh, time doing oh. what you're supposed to do and and there were missionaries and probably in your missions as well who really did um crack and and got sent home because they they lost their mind they they just oh, totally. had some kind of a breakdown, and uh, yeah, there, there was one guy that uh, he, he started calling people Star Wars names in the middle of a, a district meeting, and then he'd sit down and bang on the piano, and that they had to haul that guy off. And oh, you know, I mean, th- that, th- there were several stories the like kind, this. That would be the kind of guy I'd want to hang out with out there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I don't know. It, it, I think you're right. I think that. Uh, I saw a lot of personalities while I was out there that probably had cracked and just kind of molded into something else because the pressure to stay out there is intense, really intense. Yeah. I, I remember writing a letter um, kind of just as a feeler, like what would you guys th- write this to either my family or one of my friends? What would you guys think if I actually came home early? And, uh, yeah. and I think the response was something like, that's not even funny to talk about. Yeah, that's not even. Right. That's not even funny. 
let's you know, let's like, pretend like you didn't even just say that. Yeah. Yeah. And and then of course I, I respond like, oh yeah, you guys got my joke right. Okay, good, thanks. You know, yeah. and inside inside I'm like, ooh, it's worse than I thought. Now, but when when you guys were out, I mean, did did you really sincerely believe that you were God's soldiers and that that you were doing the Lord's work, and, and that these people that you were called to to speak to really needed to hear the message that you had? Yes, and yes. No. I, I yeah, I I think it's more. I guess my answer would be more like Jim. Yes and no. I yes, I want. I I really firmly thought and believed that. I mean. I fasted a lot just because I wanted my doubts to be suppressed. And a lot of times it would be easier to deal with that ground stomach than dealing with doubts in my head. What, what kind of doubts did you have back then, Tom? If just the kind of doubts that everybody has, you know, am I, is this, you know, why, why am I doing this? Is, is this really all worth it? You know? And, so, so what was I, your, what was your yes and no, Jim? You, you said my yes, yes and no, no is, there's a lot of ego on the mission that you build yourself up with, yeah. especially before you, before you go out, you know, I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm the Lord's representative. I'm, I'm this special, important person. And, you know, and then you get out on your mission and then you have that, that view kind of trounced by people that, you know, you knock on their door and yet they, you, they open it and you say, you, you, you tell them why you're there. And what you're offering, and you know they laugh in your face, right. and, and give you explicit, specific, rational reasons of why my, you know what's what my ego is is basically structured around is, you know, just crap, you know, and you're constantly building yourself up and then being broken down, and then building yourself up and then being broken down, and, and so you know that whole. You know, believing that you're, you know, the Lord's representative, you know, is is part of that shell that you build around you to protect you from what you have to experience every day. Which is why I hated tracting to begin with. Yeah, that was hard. Do, do you remember the the Mister? Ro- There's a Mister Rogers song that that starts off. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, a feeling uh-huh. you know. Like I, 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 I created my own words for this song, and I would sing it with my companions, like after we would be rejected at a door. I think it, it, it's a good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the end is near and you'll be damned to hell. And there'll be things you'll want to talk about and I'll reject you. And, you know, I, I thought that was, that was hilarious, you know, and my companion and I would laugh about it. But, but it, it, it belies this, like what you're talking about, this, this arrogance and this, this ego yeah, it's almost this built-in gallows humor, you yeah. know, like like you're deciding somebody's fate, you know, when really you're just playing games in your head. Yeah, did, did you ever dust your feet off on anyone? Yeah. Really? It, you know, kind of jokingly, yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. weren't ever called up by the mission president and said, this area has, you know, is damned for, you know, for the next 10 years, go dust your feet, you know, because, you know, that's how, you know, it, 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 the folklore would be built into it is, you know, like, a year ago, this happened up in, you know, in northern Minnesota. You know, this had to happen in this place. And, you know, the yeah. area always changed. You know. the, but, you yeah. Know, you, you, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm no expert or folk, folkloristics, Glance. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here. But while I was on my mission, there was, a, there was supposedly a house that supposedly put the garments in their front window. Yeah. And some missionaries came by, dusted their feet, and the house burned to the ground. <laughs> 
like just a couple of weeks later, and the and the people that lived there were never heard of again. With the day night scene leaving the area shortly before with a gas tank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a very popular one. You know, I, I I studied the missionary folklore for about a year and a half in the BYU folklore archives, and I'd go through and read all these stories, and that that one was very very common. So I I, I doubt that it actually happened in your mission, Tom. I hate to burst your bubble on that. Maybe it did. But it probably didn't. But, I mean, the, the more important thing is what, what does it say about the missionaries who tell this and, and you know, how seriously they take their, their role in, in what well, they're okay. doing. That you feel like it, you really could have this power that if you wiped the dust off from your feet, that then God would punish the people that you told him to punish. Well, here's, here's two little stories about the importance that I thought was a weak carrier that I had. There was an investigative family that we were teaching, and we had— they had asked us to burn a Ouija board that their daughter had and we burned it and it never showed up again because they gave us the story that no matter how many times they've tried to get rid of it, it always showed back up. What? And so, yeah, it's a true story. They would chop it up into pieces and the next day it would be their hole well, in the room. <laughs> kind of, kind of, but they told yeah, us they, the daughter's they destroyed their Ouija board. So she went out and bought another one. <laughs> Maybe. Don't ruin, don't ruin the special effects of this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so 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 they'd gotten rid yeah so they'd gotten rid of it all these times and it kept showing up and so we burned it and we did this little prayer thing and it never showed up again did it scare you when you were doing it i mean like did you feel like you were really sure. messing around with a powerful dark object no i felt more in control because you? you know yeah i felt like that uh that what we had was more powerful than what the, it had <laughs> so don't laugh <laughs> no i just i it was a serious i actually have pictures of that too and there's a cool picture where the flame is coming off the ouija board that can you see I a thought. face in the flames if you look hard enough yeah wow. but the but the other experience that i had and this is a true story because i had it written in my journal is i had a dream about a house and it was a new area i'd been to and it was this particular house and i'd never been there before and it was this time of day and and I had this, you know, and I walked up to the house and they had let us in. And we taught them discussions and they'd been baptized, blah, blah, blah. And I wake up and I quickly write the dream down because I'm like, I'm having my very first visionary experience. Yeah. And sure enough, as luck would have it, I actually came across that house. And I grabbed my companion. I said, we've got to stop everything we're doing. This is it. And I was literally shaking. I go up to the house, knock on the door, and no one was there. So we left. You know, I had a very similar. I was, told, I was totally devastated. I was like, so God went through all that trouble to give me this vision, and couldn't even tell me when to be home. Yeah, I was, I was devastated. I, I, I had a very similar experience where uh, my companion and I had been doing what what was called a hundred hour week, and I don't know if you had these in your mission, but it's, yeah, it's when you, I know what you're yeah, we had those. You know, and so we were we were like being extra diligent and. Um, as we were uh, saying our prayer before we went out, um, you know, for the evening, I, I had this image in my mind uh, of this apartment complex that I'd never seen um, in the city of Hiroshima, where I was at the time. And I, I, I felt like, okay, yeah, this is a place we're, we're going we're gonna to come across this tonight. And as I was riding my bike, I would kind of like reach out with my feelings, you know, like if, like it was the force or something. And, and I'd come to an intersection and I'd be like, should I turn right or should I turn left or should I go straight? And, and I felt like this 
pressure in my head would, would guide me and tell me which way to go. You know, whether I'm imagining it or not, I don't know. But but it seems spiritual, real at the time. Spiritual GPS, dude. It was like a spiritual GPS. I should have patented that. <laughs> but uh, the, the uh, eventually, I came to a place where I saw exactly what I had seen. You know, it was just familiar to me. And I picked out one of these buildings. And we started up at the top, as we always did, you know, probably 11 or 12 floors. And we just worked our way down. And we did end up finding somebody in that building who wanted to talk to us. And he told us no, that, man. yeah, he told us that he had been wanting to talk to the Mormons. Um, oh. and, you know, it, it would be a much better story if he had been, you know, baptized and he's a stake president today. But, but you know, he, he did a couple of lessons and he invited some of his friends to, to hear and then it just kind of fell up, fell apart. He just wasn't interested in it anymore. Um, but, but what you if know, you were just? What if you were there just to plant the seeds, Glenn? Yeah, you know, what if? What I'm if? not touching that with a ten foot pole. But it, it's it's one of those <laughs> it, it's one of those things that you know, like I I still I don't know how to explain it. It, it I, I know that it happened, and that that even at the time it seemed hard for me to believe, um, and, and I. I don't think that it proves anything except that there's strange stuff that goes on. I don't know. Maybe we can remember the future, you know, like weird things like that. But, you know. Or you remember something that, like, you you could have done that, you know, 30 times in a month, right? In that one single instance, you'll always remember, you know, selective memory. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I would look at it. Not to attack, you know, your spiritual spirituality or anything, but. Uh, that's that's how I would approach it. Well, you, you mean like thirty times I had been led by the spirit, well, kind of thing. Well, the numbers that I was? are arbitrary, yeah. you know. But, but basically, you know, you're gonna because you know I did stuff like that too, where you you know you you stop, you know, in a neighborhood and you open up the map book and you say, okay, elder, you know, let's pray and let's figure out which street we're going to track. You know, we'll do that. You know, maybe you know, 40 times in, in a month, you know, but you know, that one time when, you know, you, you find somebody and you, you know, you, you teach them the discussions and you, you work towards baptism, that's going to be that, what, that one, you know, that one time where you stand up in zone conference and you say, uh, elder Hill and I, you know, we, we, uh, we had this special spiritual experience, you know, that we know to be true, you know? So, well, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Um, in, in, in my case, I, I would make uh, audio tapes. <laughs> I, I, I made audio tapes instead of writing letters, and I'd send them home to my parents or when I started you're, you were making Tracy. You were making podcasts for your parents, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah my brother did that too. Yeah. And, and so I, I've got pretty much my entire mission documented where I could go back and, and listen to it. And Ugh. it – not, not that I ever have. I, I, I tried. I tried once. I couldn't do it. But um, I, I, I would be very surprised, Jim, if, if this was kind of more of a common experience that just sticks out in my memory because the, the planets happened to align on this one where they didn't yeah. align on another you know, one. And I'm not trying to burst your bubble or anything. So I'm well, not I, to... I've burst my own bubble so many times. You don't have to worry about it. Totally. Yeah, I, I see. I see it this way, and it's just like with that little that dream I had with the house. The way I see it now is the same way I look at deja vu moments. Everybody right. has them, right. where if you have a dream, and, and then all of a sudden you're in this in that same circumstance, or talking to one person you had a dream with, and you're like, 
holy crap. And you have that feeling of, I wonder if there's really something to all this. But I think, I think it's just a matter of the numbers catching up with themselves. It's like Jim was saying, if you dream, I mean, countless times in your lifetime, there's going to be a few of them that are actually going to hit. You know, where can you're I choose dream. the ones that do? Sure, you can choose awesome. whatever you want. Awesome. I'm looking forward to when I meet Jennifer Aniston. You know, nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll be like deja vu, baby, deja vu. So, so I'd like to share a kind of a, you know, the ego getting in the way of of li- of missionary life. Yeah. Story, um, and this kind of has several components to it um, that I kind of wanted to share, but. Uh, we, uh, I was in my first area, and I'd come into this area, you know, a greenie. This was in uh, Buffalo, Minnesota. And we were teaching a couple uh, who had, they weren't married, uh, and uh, the, the woman had, had had two daughters from a previous marriage that she had recently ended and the boyfriend uh, was uh, abusive, was a drug user, and was trying to get his life back together, you know, and, or was trying to get his life together, basically. And he and uh, the, the woman uh, were cohabitating, and we were teaching them. And they were scheduled to be baptized, and they were baptized. And I remember this, you know, this was my first teacher, you know, my first experience teaching somebody all the way through and get, you know, going through baptism with them and, and their daughter. And, and to this day, they, are, we had to get them married, number one. And I, you know, to this day, I, I thoroughly regret being involved with that process because, um, what we did was we strengthened a an abusive relationship. We strengthened uh, the ability for a male uh, abusive male in the household to uh, assert his priesthood authority over the subservient codependent wife. Uh, but at the same time, the my missionary companion who was thoroughly nuts, you know, in all senses of the word, uh, he ate it up and he would not do anything to, uh, to have that stand in the way. And they had interviews with the stake president, with the mission president before they got baptized, they signed off on it. And, uh, to this day, they're not married because of his continual use of drugs and, and his abuse of this woman that quite frankly, she was ready to leave him, uh, before, uh, we showed up at their doorstep. So that's my story of, of arrogance and, you know, missionaries on, a, on, on, you know, with a purpose screwing up people's lives. Don't you so. think their intentions were still good though, Jim? Um, I think their intention was to get them baptized. Uh, you know, call that so, bad so, or good. Yeah, so whether that's good or bad is all in perspective, I guess. Yeah, but you yeah. Know, I, I think somebody could make the argument, Jim, that if if this, this uh, priesthood brother would have experienced a true conversion and would have turned away from 
the drugs as he was supposed to and would have turned toward Christ as you were teaching him, that then this would have had a, a happy ending and not a, a bad ending. So it was his own agency and his own sin true, true. Um, that, that did it, not, not the missionaries coming in and throwing them a, a lifeline that he didn't grab onto. Well, I, I would say that we, we extended the misery a, a little bit more. It, you gave you them know, hope, false hope? We gave them false hope that everything would be okay because magical thinking would take over. And, you know, if you, you know, commit to, you know, the Mormon plan, everything will be okay. And, you know, when in reality, what we, what, you know, in hindsight, in, in complete hindsight, you know, I, you know, the best thing would have been to say, you know, you need to get away from this guy. You need to go take your kids and get away from this guy because he is not, you know, good for you. He is not any, this is a codependent relationship and you're making your kids and your own life worse because of your experience around this person. Yeah. Looking back, I mean, there's a lot of things that I wish I could have changed and things I would have said too. I I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Um, One, one question for both of you and I'll even answer it too is whether you would recommend a mission to others, this, I asked this to the sister missionaries in the podcast that I did a while, a while back, would you recommend a missionary mission to someone that is preparing to go on a mission or is thinking about going on a mission? They, they come up to you, Jim or Glenn, they say, you know, from your experience, would you recommend a mission for me or for anyone? And I'll, I'll go ahead and answer first. Um, my answer would be most of the time, no. I think... Just from my experience, I think that it does more damage than it does good. Now, I, there's people like Glenn that can come back and say that they wouldn't change it for anything or whatever. But, but for me, I guess I kind of lean more towards Jim. I, I would have liked to have had that time in other places and other areas and that money back and stuff like that. I still think that I made you know extremely valuable relationships and friends and and I met people that uh, I cherish very close to my heart to this day. Um, I wouldn't change that for anything. But the overall experience, the pressure, the obedience, the, I don't know, all the other bad stuff. I, I, I think that the, for, from my perspective, the negatives outweigh the positive. So that's my answer. And then, Jim, you go ahead and then, Glenn, you answer and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Um, no, I, w- I would not recommend a, an LDS mission to anyone. I, I wouldn't recommend Mormonism to anyone, uh, to be rather blunt. Um, I think that the Mormon uh, mission program is a tool not to convert, I mean, g- generally speaking, to not to build converts, but to build people who are dedicated to Mormonism. Uh, I, I think that in itself it's a tool to uh, have somebody live, breathe, and eat Mormonism. And it's, you know, it's truly a crucible. You know, you either survive it or and you, you go on. Uh, maybe I'm just a fluke of it, but, you know, or you, you, uh, you crack and you kind of, 
behind the curtain and you see the Wizard of Oz back there manipulating huh. things. That's, I mean, that's my perspective is that's, no. I, the LDS mission, though I did learn a lot about myself and about Mormonism, I, I, I learned that it's something that I would not want someone to go through. There's much better things that you could do with two years of your life. Interesting. How about you, Gwen? Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I still have nightmares that I, I wake up in the past and I have to redo the mission again. Yeah, I do. Th I have the same dreams. And, you know, it, it's not something that I would relish doing. Um, and, I, I, you know, I see pros and, pros and cons of, of the mission. I, 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 I met one one guy once. I, I, th this had such an impact on my life, this conversation, where I was invited into a house, really cool Japanese family, um, two young children, and, you know, we, we were just BRTing, building relationships of trust. And we got to, okay, let's start transitioning into the lesson. And I said, we have, we'd like to talk to you about the purpose of life. And this guy just, he just laughed at us. And he said, how, how old are you? I said, yeah, we're 20 years old. And he goes, look, I, I'm 35. I'm married. I've got a job. I'm supporting two kids. Why don't you come back when you're 15, if, come back in 15 years when you're 35, and we'll have a conversation about the purpose of life. And to me, that just hit me in the gut because it was such a rejection of, you know, this mantle that I thought that I had, um, you know, of, of authority from God, but it also just made so much sense. Uh, and, you know, so it's, it's moments like that that I carry with me now that are really valuable to, to who I am and, and what I've become. And like, rec like the first half of my mission was all about converting other people. And the second half of my mission was more about recognizing that, um, you know, mis missionaries who came on the mission maybe for different reasons than I did because they wanted to stop doing drugs or stop drinking or they wanted to, to turn their life around, you know, and they used it as a, as a boot camp situation. Like I would have been terribly judgmental of that at, at the beginning of my mission, but at the end of my mission, I could respect that as a, a valid reason to, to go on a mission. And, you know, some of those guys were some of my best friends on, on the mission. And, uh, you know, I, I still keep in touch with them a little bit, uh, today. So I, I, I would lean towards recommending that people go and, you know, with, with my kids, if they decided that they wanted to go on a mission, uh, I would, I would support that. I, I think missionary work is kind of a touchy subject for me anyways, because like promoting the certainty of knowing that the church is true, isn't really very interesting to me, but the, <laughs> but, but, but the experience of going on a mission and just getting out into the world and, and having to figure that out on your own, um, I think could be a valuable thing f for, for my kids or for anybody else. So, you know, Hey, Russ, <laughs> Russ, you can go if you want. This is just a little mis message to Russ out there, but anyway, <laughs> did, right. did I answer your question, Tom? <clears throat> I think so, in a long-winded sort of way. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for joining uh, me and uh, reminiscing about the good and the bad and the ugly with our missions. The discussion continues at mormonexpression.com. Uh, let us know some of your experiences on your missions, and maybe we can compare notes, share war stories. 
Um, so thanks again. So, Tom, have you listened to any of that music yet? I haven't. I'll get on it, though. Oh, you don't? No rush. You're How's not, not going to like it. What do you mean I'm not going to like it? Hey, you got to give me a little credit. I'm I'm more open-minded than you give me credit for, bro. Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> it's not about being open-minded. It's just the way that you uh, uh, the way that you reacted to the Beatles and, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Why? But you said that there wasn't any Crosby, Stills, and Nash in there, so I'll be all right. Okay, all right. We'll see. <laughs> you you just renamed the artist and put the Crosby, Stills, Nash in there? Maybe. Is that all you did? Uh, that could Maybe. be what I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what. Are you getting that little uh, up every like three seconds on my end coming through? What is it? What were you saying? Yeah, I didn't get that, Jim. Cutting out, dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Let me do something. Damn it. Okay. Here, let's disconnect or I'll hang up and dial me back in, see if it'll prevalent. Okay. All right. Yeah. So some feedback. Yeah, it's still not great. The uh, it's like it, but you know. Yeah, you're cutting down. out. It's cutting out. Bar. What is that? Yeah. See if I put it. Was, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's 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 almost the same, but it's, it's a little different. Yeah. Let let me let me hang up and then I'll, I'll try you back on your cell and we'll see if that's a better connection. All right, dude. this <laughs> yeah i don't know if i like the cell i don't know if i like the way that it sounds <laughs> it's 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 a little like inside of an empty cave it's just a cell phone isn't it jim or is that your home phone yeah that's my cell phone actually you know what here um let me give you another number we can try that one okay yeah all right let's give that a shot cool Word. welcome Thank you for calling the Hilton Salt Lake City Center. Oh, man. Call room reservation inquiries, please press 1. You may experience a slight delay connecting. For all other calls, <laughs> press 0 or simply stay in the line. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I'll just have to stay on the line. You know, Jim better pull it through, Hi, dude. Please. He better bring his agent. One moment, please. Thank you for calling the Hilton Hotel. This is Tyra. How may I direct your call? Hi, Tyra. Could I have extension? Absolutely. Just a moment. At www.twitter.com forward slash. This is Jim. Oh, that's way better. Awesome. It's a landline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Good. Blackberry hacks. Freaking <laughs> blackberries, right, dude? <laughs> Uh, you know, Jim, to, to give you a little bit of background on this, Tom, Tom and I exchanged some. Uh, well, we just recorded ourselves talking, you know, alone. Like I was in a hotel room in China, and I spoke. I talked for about two and a half hours, and I recorded it. Was and the, I sent it yeah, to Tom. It was the creepiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> what was, you know? You you did forty five minutes pretty easily. Yeah, Tom, well, Tom I was sent me back forty five minutes. Yeah, I was, I was in the car, and I was like, and I just set my cell phone to record. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was awkward for me too. So yeah, but, I, I just I just laid down on the bed in the hotel room and just talked, and then I looked down at the time. You had your clothes on though, right? You had your clothes on though, right? I, I don't want to make it even more creepy for you. 
<laughs> Only 19 white shirts over slacks Tag on a front, book bag on the back Pair of black socks and a shoe with a hole The work must go forward, so stop it Stop it they call me on a mission Boogie that, boogie that. Boogie that, boogie that. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and you know, I've really wanted to tell this story for a long time, and maybe I've told bits and pieces of it before, but it's late, and my wife is away, so okay, this is my essay. Thanks for indulging me. The Streaking Samurai. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Those were my exact thoughts as I was handing a Book of Mormon to the outstretched hand of a plastic Colonel Sanders outside of KFC. A pretty common photo gag for super clever missionaries in Japan. The picture with Colonel-san, or Colonel Kyodai, or Brother Colonel, to some of the members in the area who, for one reason or another, believed that the actual Colonel Harlan Sanders, the real-life founder of KFC, was a Mormon, just like them. And for those of you who may also believe this, or at least that KFC was started in Salt Lake City, here's the truth. Kentucky Fried Chicken was started as a roadside restaurant in 1930 in Corbin, Kentucky. Its first franchise location was opened 22 years later in Salt Lake. But it wasn't founded in Utah. Salt Lake didn't have the first KFC. And founder Harlan Sanders was neither a Mormon nor even a real military colonel. But I digress. This was late May 1991, and I was transferring from Kurashiki, my first area in Japan, to Yasufuruichi, a small suburb outside of Hiroshima. Now, I'd been in Kurashiki for all of two months, but I was already chomping at the bit for a do-over. I needed a fresh start. It had been a rough two months that had seen the rapid and aggressive excoriation of my innocent and naive MTC and view zeal a figuratively humiliating undressing in front of a dozen basketball-playing missionaries, an even more humiliating literal undressing a few weeks later in an elementary school playground, an obscene and somewhat racist Mexican man, fake excrement on a flushing handle, some apartment keys in the beak of a dead crow, some Van Halen and MC Hammer, endless games of hearts, a tiny bit of backbone, and some sprained and bandaged wrists. All of the hands of the most infamous and elusive streaking samurai. But now I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But yeah, it had been a rough two months and I was ready for a change. Now I guess I should have known that God was playing some kind of prank on me when my MTC district arrived in Japan on April 1st. I was so gung-ho going into the MTC, I wanted to set the world on fire with my testimony of the truth. Because I loved the gospel, the good news that the rest of the world didn't completely understand. I knew that God had a plan for us, 
that was far more grand and expansive than anything that most people could imagine. I knew that we were his children, that we could become like him for reals, and that his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of us. So we don't have to get all bent out of shape when things go wrong in this world, because all these things shall give us experience, and Christ atoned for even the worst of sinners to not be damned for eternity. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's way more to God in the universe that has yet to be revealed. So, sure, we may not know everything there is to know right now, but look at what we do know. It rocks. Eternal perspective, baby. Eternal perspective. See, I felt incredibly lucky to know the truth when others didn't. Because many are called, but few are chosen. And I was chosen. And I wasn't going to be stingy about it either. I was going to devote two years of my life to spreading this gospel, this good news, to my spiritual brothers and sisters, wherever God wanted me to go. And God wanted me to go to Japan. So I would learn their culture, I would learn their language, and I would go and do the things which the Lord commands for. I knew he would prepare a way for me to accomplish his goals for me. And the 103-degree fever that I came down with on the morning that we were set to leave the MTC only confirmed to my mind that I was destined for greatness. Because obviously the devil didn't want me getting on that plane. And he wasn't above striking me down with plague to keep me from the work. But I got a priesthood blessing, and I headed out on the long journey from Provo, Utah to Okayama, Japan. And I picked up two potential converts along the way. Now, I'll never forget that first plane ride from Salt Lake to Los Angeles and the conversation between Elder Shepherd and the intelligent, articulate, black Baptist pastor lady that he got seated next to. Elder Shepherd, man, that guy embarrassed the hell out of me. We weren't companions, thank goodness, but we did share a room together at the MTC. And the first day I was there and I met him, I saw this upside-down picture of this long, golden-haired person and his Franklin planner. And I said, is that your girlfriend? And he turned it right side up and I saw, nope, it's just Jesus. Now, I thought that was really funny, but he didn't. Because Elder Shepherd was one of those guys who reasoned that since we shouldn't write letters on any day other than P-Day, that we really shouldn't read our mail on any day other than P-Day either. And he was made our district leader in the MTC and had severely chastised me once for eating a Tic Tac on Fast Sunday. Now, I took my mission seriously. I was excited about being a missionary, but I wasn't about to become pharisaical about it. Not like this weenie. So there he was on this airplane, sitting next to a woman who so obviously surpassed him in maturity, intelligence, and class, and he was trying to convert her. He pointed to his name tag, to Elder, and for the first time I thought, wait a minute, Elder? That means old wise person. Now even in Japanese, I guess I had learned that the kanji that makes up choro means old wise person, and... You know, this must look really weird and almost sort of fake to someone from the outside, but here's Shepard pointing it out to this woman he's talking to, and he was so proud of it, so proud to be an elder, like it proved something. And I was sitting across the aisle, eavesdropping and wishing with all my silent might that he would just shut the hell up. Now, the part of the conversation that I really remember is when she asked him, 
why aren't women missionaries like you are? And he got so excited by this opportunity to show her how misinformed she was. And he told her all about sister missionaries. And he pointed out the two who were traveling with us, sitting in different parts of the plane, and how they were also allowed to go on missions when they were older, if they hadn't found their husbands first. And I thought, did he just say that? That's so embarrassing. And this isn't the gospel. This isn't the good news that I'm fired up to preach. Oh, please, shut the ass. Shut the But then in the L.A. airport, it all smoothed out because I got to talk to a TSA agent while I was going through security who told me that two missionaries had come to her door and had left a Book of Mormon with them but had never come back, and she wanted them to. So I took down her name and her address and her phone number, and I just couldn't wait to give it to my mission president as soon as I got to Japan just to show him what a convert magnet that God was already turning me into. And then on the flight to Japan, my companion and I gave the first two missionary discussions to a 16-year-old Japanese kid, and we committed him to baptism. So I got his contact info for my mission president, too. Yep, go ahead, devil. Bring on that 103-degree fever. Just try and stop me, because I'll just kneel and I'll pray again on that mysteriously sticky airplane lavatory floor, but... Nothing's going to stop me, man. So this was my mindset as we got to Japan and I met my mission president for the first time. And he pulled us into a room on that first day and, and he sat us down and he asked, what do we think our first priority should be as missionaries? Well, that's easy, I thought. It should be the Japanese people. Nope, nope, nope. It was to ourselves. We had to be true to ourselves, to keep ourselves pure and worthy to be the most effective missionaries possible. Well, I was kind of disappointed by that answer. It seemed really self-serving, and it just seemed so obvious to me, and it was like a waste of time to even consider. Of course we had to be worthy, but it was also that we could convert the Japanese people, right? So, all right, let's get to it already. Priority number two, I got it, the Japanese people, right? wrong. It was to be true to our companions, to help keep them pure and worthy and yada, yada, yada. Okay, totally redundant here for the same reasons as number one. Stop wasting my time, President. Let's get to the real reason we're here. Number three, the Japanese people? Yes, finally. So, all right, just assign me my companion and let's get on with this already because eight weeks in the MTC is way too long for a missionary like me. Let's go knock on some doors and make some miracles happen. Because, yeah, did I tell you what my favorite scripture was at the time? Now, this was the scripture that they engraved on my plaque that had my picture on it in the country of Japan that hung on the wall in the hallway of my home ward back in Arizona. It was Alma 17.3. But this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. That was going to be me. I could feel it already. So again, this was my state of mind when I first met Elder SS, a zone leader 
who was going to be my first companion. He was my trainer. He was the one that the APs really talked up and got me totally excited about. And I mean when I met the real Elder SS, because at first, he tried to punk me a little bit on my first day by pairing me up with the other junior companion in the apartment, a guy that we called Led. But I quickly saw that Led was very unzone leader-like. You know, his Japanese was barely better than mine was. And he stopped by a payphone to call his sister in Australia. We weren't supposed to do things like that. And he wouldn't talk to that young Japanese couple in McDonald's when I suggested that we give them my scratch-off coupon as a way to just open the door and begin a friendly but ultimately life-changing conversation with them. Yeah, he just sat there munching on his french fries, watching as I did all the work myself. Now, the real Elder SS, I was certain was a stud, a spiritual giant, a natural leader, a master of Japanese like the APs told me. You know, he was a freaking zone leader for Pete's sake. Which is why I was a little confused when I finally did meet him, for real, and he showed me that wooden kendo sword hanging on the wall and his straw conical rice paddy hat, and then he pulled out the Polaroid photo of himself donning both of those two things and nothing else. Yeah, it was a a nude pose, and he was standing outside in midday right in front of our missionary apartment. And he was really, really proud to show this to me. This was his alter ego, who he called the Streaking Samurai. And as he showed me this photo, I'm sure he was watching me and gauging my reaction to it. And in that moment, he sort of knew what he was in for with me. You know, a a naive, ambitious, overzealous greenie. At this stage in his mission was the last thing he wanted. So it was on. A battle of wills. And mine was about to be crushed. Skirmish number one. The Investigator. So, um, Elder Samurai, who are our investigators? Here's the book. Go ahead and look through it. Okay. Uh, who's this Nakatani guy? He comes out to Eikaiwa. What's Eikaiwa? Uh, it's the weekly English class that we teach for service. Really? I didn't know we taught a weekly English class for service. Yeah, there's a lot you don't know. So, has Nakatani taken any discussions? Uh, one or two. Have we called him yet today? What? They said in the MTC that we're supposed to talk to our investigators every day, so have you talked to him today? There's the phone right there. You can call him if you want. But he doesn't really know me yet, so introduce yourself. Uh, My Japanese really isn't all that great. Well, here's a good chance to practice. So I did, and it was lame. It was super, super lame. Well done. Point Samurai. Skirmish number two, our first P-Day. Now, Elder Samurai played basketball for a junior college before coming out on his mission, and he was pretty good. Now, I wasn't nearly as good, but I was just as competitive, and back home with my friends, well, we'd talk a little bit of harmless, fun-loving smack when we played. So, when Elder Samurai drove the lane and gave me a head fake that I didn't fall for, and then I raised up and swatted a shot away, I gleefully said, well, you were just a little too predictable that time, and... 
Then the next time when he came down and he juked me out of my shorts for an easy layup, he glared at me and he said, not too predictable that time, was I hot shot? And I don't know, there was something about that glare that told me that this wasn't just fun and games to him like it was to me. So I went down and kind of stopped what I was doing. I apologized. I said, hey man, I was just fooling around. Are we okay? And he just stopped everything. And he grabbed the ball and he threw it in my face. And he just ripped me a new one in front of all the other missionaries there. And he said, no, we're not okay. You are the cockiest son of a bitch I have ever met in my life. And my whole world just kind of like collapsed on me. And I was like, oh, crap. Oops, I did it again. It happened again. I got too big for my britches, too cocky, pissing people off without meaning to. And I realized I was alone. My stupid mouth has got me in trouble. I said too much again. I had no family around. I had no friends. I didn't even speak the language. I was completely alone in a foreign country with no one to turn to and a senior companion who hated my guts. I felt about as close to rock bottom as I thought I could feel. Brutality. Point Samurai. I will grant you a warrior's death. Skirmish number three. You can't touch this. See, Elder Samurai was actually a really charismatic guy, a a smart guy, a funny guy, a clever guy, a, a natural leader. And I really, really wanted him to like me. So I decided to chill. And I really started taking my guard down. Now, there were four of us in this apartment. There was myself, you know, the other junior, Led, who I mentioned before, and he'd been out for about a year. And then there was our district leader, Thuy, who only had about a month or two left before going home. And then, of course, our friendly neighborhood, Streaking Samurai, who had about six months to go and was counting every minute of it. Now, they were all actually pretty good friends. And before I got there, they'd made a habit of playing these nightly card games, something that's not exactly in line with the missionary handbook. Especially when they broke out the boombox and popped in the Van Halen and MC Hammer CDs. But, okay, this did create more group harmony in the apartment. And, you know, I really didn't want to make waves. I wanted to just fit in, right? To watch and learn and make the best of a bad situation. This must be what it's like to be humble. So, okay, we played hearts. And we played a lot of hearts. And I learned how to ditch the bitch and to shoot the moon, and and I really grew to love it. I even broke down and I bought myself a CD Walkman and a few Beatles rarity CDs, something to help me cope during the long hours inside the apartment when we weren't doing missionary work and when I was tired of studying to pass off my missionary discussions. The mission rules were already starting to bend, but something had to give, and it wasn't going to be the samurai, so... You know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Better known in other circles as selling out or succumbing to peer pressure. Outstanding. Point Samurai. I will show no mercy. Skirmish number four. The Mexican Man. All right, okay. Um, Now, the Samurai... He had something about nudity. You know, there was the whole streaking thing, right? 
And then he used to love climbing into the other guy's fatones. And these were the sleeping bag type beds that we slept in. And he'd strip down into nothing and he'd ride these fatones all around the floor and shout, I'm naked in your fatone, I'm naked in your fatone. And then, you know, when Thuy would take off his glasses while he was taking a shower and he'd set them outside in the bathroom, he could never quite find where they went afterwards. And more than once he'd come out of the apartment and he'd ask, has anyone seen my glasses? And Elder Samurai would walk out of his room with his pants down around his ankles and the glasses held right above his junk and he'd say, Oh, your glasses? I'm not sure. Let's ask the Mexican man. Can I please put your glasses on my penis? I just think that would be really funny. Yeah, that samurai was a real practical joker. But I'd been a practical joker, too. I knew how to play the game, and I really, really wanted this guy to like me. So I started pulling pranks on Led, the other junior in the apartment. Like the time I told him that he better look where he's putting his hand when he just preemptively reaches in and turns his head away and flushes the toilet every time he goes into the bathroom. Now, of course, the reason that he did this in the first place was because Samurai also liked making designs out of his own poop. And Led was tired of seeing those designs, so he'd just reach in and flush the toilet, and then he'd look to see what he was doing. But I told him once, you know, if Samurai has no problem touching this stuff himself, he might put a bit of it on the handle, and if you don't look before you reach... Well, of course, I was really only setting him up. I was just planting some seeds because the next day, I took a little bit of Mugi, this cream of wheat type cereal that we were required to eat every morning, and I placed some of it on the handle. And then I told Samurai what I had done, and we gathered together by the door and kind of giggled like little schoolgirls waiting for Led to approach the bathroom and stick his hand in the moogie, and he did, and we laughed, and for that brief moment, things were good. So I tried it again. Uh, This time, Led left his keys in the apartment door, something that he would have grilled any of the rest of us for doing. So I took them and slipped them into my pocket and figured an opportunity would eventually present itself for me to use them somehow. And it did, in the form of a dead crow that we passed on the side of the road after our district meeting. So when Led went to check the mail that afternoon, instead of finding another letter from his girlfriend back home, which he got almost daily and annoyingly rubbed in our face every single time, he found a dead crow with his lost keys in its beak. Not my brightest shining moment, but not nearly as bad as the night that we hosted an unofficial unapproved zone meeting. Ten missionaries crammed into a small two-bedroom apartment. Because Samurai was kind of like the leader of this clique of cool guys. It was kind of like our mission's answer to the gaddy ant and robbers. That's what I thought, at least. And, And these cool guys all thought that the streaking Samurai was just about the coolest guy ever. So what did they suggest that we do when everyone got together? Let's go streaking! So, late that night, seven cool missionaries left the apartment a little after midnight, violating far more than Rule Mission 72. And three nerdly missionaries, they chose to stay behind. But the seven cool ones, they went to a nearby elementary school, and they took turns streaking back and forth across the playground. At one point, all of them climbed into one of those mesh net climby thingies, and took a picture of seven super cool, anonymous, bare-white asses that circulated through the underground of our mission as the sex pit photo. 
Yeah, I had sort of sold my birthright here. You know, not for a bowl of porridge, but for a frigging sex pit photo in the hope of fitting in with the cool guys, which I never had any real chance of doing anyway. I was nothing at this point but a sellout and a fool, and I sort of hated myself for it. Impressive. Point Samurai. I'm so pretty. Skirmish number five. Dunkin' Donuts. So I started my first documented repentance process, the first of many I went through on my mission, making a chart to become 100% obedient every day, where if I couldn't get out and work, I would at least study as hard as I could to pass off the discussions and become a senior companion so that I could decide when we worked instead of being at the mercy of a charismatic burnout. Because I really still wanted to work. I wanted to do what I came on my mission to do. And one day, I actually got the opportunity to do it. Samurai took Thuwe out on a split to go to some leadership conference the next city over, which actually turned out to be a bogus excuse. They really just went to a bowling alley all day. But that left me and Led on our own. And we'd both been grumbling about how much we really wanted to get out and do some actual missionary work, so we took the opportunity to do it. We knocked on doors, we stopped people at the train station... And we had a ton of fun doing it. We felt really good about ourselves. This was why we had come on our missions. But we arranged to meet our senior companions later that night at Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, now this Dunkin' Donuts, it had a video laser disc jukebox thing that showed some great videos from back home. You know those three girls from that Bobby Brown video, Every Little Step You Take? Yeah. So we actually spent more time at Dunkin' Donuts than we really ever should have. And, you know, that day was especially hard because Led and I had been on a roll. And now we were back with our senior companions and we just sat there watching the video jukebox for 45 minutes. Nobody saying a word. Nobody budging at all. Until finally I stood up and said, well, I'm going to head out and do some work. Who wants to come with me? And Samurai, he just glared at me and he said... Why don't you go out by yourself? And this time I didn't even flinch. Fine, I will. And I did. And then Led followed behind me, and I struck up a conversation with the first Japanese guy that I bumped into outside of Dunkin' Donuts. And as we talked with him, Samurai and Thuy got on their bikes and rode away, and I watched as Samurai turned his head over his shoulder and just shot lasers at me with his eyes as he rode off. He was pissed, but so was I. And when we got back to the apartment, Thuy quickly grabbed me and he pulled me into the study and he said, you know, you better give your companion some space. He's not in the best mood right now. And I said, I don't care if I never talk to him again. He can do whatever he wants. I don't care. All right, said Thuy. Well, I better go talk to Led before he does something stupid. And that's when we heard, what are you looking at? And then Led said, I just don't think it's right that the rest of us should walk around on eggshells anytime you're in a bad mood. And then we heard the slam of the dresser being thrown down to the floor and Samurai storming out of the apartment. So Thuy chased him down and he found him a few blocks away, taking his frustrations out on an old refrigerator that some of our Japanese neighbors had thrown out for the garbage. And he sprained his wrists, punching them so hard. And he wore bandages on his hands for the next two weeks while I stayed with lead and I let Thuy handle Samurai. And then I finally got my long-awaited reprieve and my transfer to Yasu Furuichi. Point me. Tastes like chicken. 
Which brings us back to my transfer day in front of that KFC, saying our fake goodbyes with our fake plastic missionary name tags, displaying our fake titles as fake elders, and smiling our fake smiles to snap a staged photo of us handing a fake historical record of a fake American civilization to this fake plastic Colonel Sanders. Now we tried to have some kind of a heart-to-heart, and I told him what was on my mind, that this is not what I thought this mission was going to be. And he laughed, and we contemplated standing at the pulpit for our missionary return talk to the ward, and warning all the future young missionaries what to really expect when they go out into the mission field. Which, I guess I'm sort of doing right now. Not over the pulpit, of course, but via podcast. Which leads me to... Skirmish number six. The last battle. Because, yeah, this all happened 23 years ago. And just like my mission didn't turn out like I expected, well, neither has my life. You know, I grew up thinking that I'd be a lawyer like my dad, like Matt, like Scott. Maybe a stake president with a big house and a big Mormon family. A shining example of stalwart righteousness and worldly success to everyone around me. That's the path I thought I was on. But, well, it didn't quite turn out that way. And I can't help but think that those first two months of my mission had a lot to do with that. It sort of broke me in a way. But not necessarily for the worse, because I went from being, quite legitimately, the cockiest son of a bitch that most people had ever met in their lives, to becoming someone who today, I hope, is much more introspective, considerate, thoughtful, reflective, self-aware, fair-minded, patient, and ultimately free to see the church for what it is and for what it was in my life. A great place to learn the values of charity and service and forgiveness and other really good life lessons, but not necessarily an organization with all the answers that it pretends to have and certainly not any organization worthy of my unquestioning obedience. Not a group of men with divine stewardship over my life to whom I should simply defer in all things. So after this last great skirmish, who's the one still standing? Because, yeah, my life's not what I expected it would be. I'll never be a stake president. I've been through a divorce. I have clearly left the church, but can't just seem to leave it alone. And I violated almost every taboo I swore I'd never even allow myself to get close to. Well, okay, maybe not every taboo. But what about the streaking samurai? What ever became of that guy? I want you to know how much I love this place. Not only do I get to teach here and associate with all of you, I also got a great education here. And the best thing that ever happened to me happened on this campus. Her name is Bonnie, and she's seated right behind me on the stand. We actually attended several devotionals together when we were students, and I think we even held hands. As a matter of fact, I'm sure of it because I don't remember a single thing any of the speakers ever said. Well, believe it or not, Elder Streaking Samurai is now a religion professor at BYU-Idaho. He's probably teaching a group of students some faith-affirming, whitewashed version of the Doctrine and Covenants right this very minute. And according to his online reviews, he's apparently an easy A who brings a lot of humor into the classroom, which doesn't surprise me he was a funny guy. And according to one review, he just radiates the Savior's love. 
I'm sure he does. Just don't let him anywhere near your glasses. So in the final analysis, who wins? Well, I'm sure he'd say that he does because, you know, he's got the temple recommend, he's got the churchy job, and he repented of his streaking ways. But seriously, a religion professor at BYU-Idaho? Could there be a worse hell? Point me. So, yeah, it may not have been exactly what I expected, but I have a pretty great life. I have an amazing wife who, quite thankfully, would have been rather repelled by that gung-ho, overzealous missionary version of me. And I have a nice, big, sorta, kinda Mormon family. My house is, well, it's small for five kids, but it's comfortable. And I have a great job that lets me travel all over the world and meet different people from different backgrounds with different perspectives. And all that has had such an impact on how I see myself in the world. Not as a knower of secrets and a harbinger of truth, but as one of many who has a lot to learn from everyone. And life is just so much better that way. So I guess after all said and done, my mission president was right after all. It really did turn out to be about me, and I'm pretty okay with that. And guess what? All these things really were for my experience. Anyone for the closing prayer? Starting now. Starting now. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. One more thing. Why is it my fault? So maybe I try too hard. But it's all because of this desire. I just don't want to be alive. Just don't want to be fine. Like the jokes on me.